are finally live after an exciting Monday night football. The Chiefs and the Rams are finally done in one of the most exciting games of the year. And to see these two incredible young quarterbacks be the face of the National Football League, football and their fans are in great hands with these two talented young individuals. You're listening to NYC, NYSE. E-A, and we are live on Facebook. You can catch us on Twitter, NYC Radio. Email us, nycsports at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. Will Sanchez, Juan Cotto, the president of Student Athlete Advocates, Scott Lago, is here. And we have a surprise guest, Saul Spady. He is uh, part of the ad agency, Creative Empowerment, and we've got a great show uh, for us tonight, Juan, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? Man, I'm fired up. Uh, what a great, what a great contest on Monday Night Football tonight, uh, man. Uh, if you like offense, if you like the ball thrown all over the place, uh, if you like big plays, and if you like some excitement, and I'm sure that Roger Goodell liked tonight. Yes, he did. And uh, Scott, uh, welcome. Uh, glad you could come down and join in, and we could watch the end of the football game on your phone. We really appreciate you. In fact, you can leave now because we've seen the game. So you can just pack up because we no longer need you in your phone. But, uh, Scott, uh, what do you think of the game? And uh, what do you think about the NFL season uh, so far with um, the direction that the NFL is going in with all this young talent? Well, obviously a great, great, great football game tonight. And, um, you know, for the, them to score that many points in the NFL is probably pretty phenomenal, to be quite frank and honest with you. Most uh, programs aren't, uh, you know, it's 24-21, you know, win. And, uh, you know, hey, Clark, how are you? And, um, you know, it's uh, the NFL is obviously needs, we were talking right before the show, uh, is in need of young new quarterbacks and talent. And I think that they've, they've definitely got some good young guys. Um, Mahomes is really good and Goff's good. And I like what uh, the L.A. Rams are doing. Um, unfortunately, they're in the same league with the Seahawks. but. You know that's the way that works. So we'll we'll have to get over that huddle, hurdle. Kind kind of like a uh, high school game in a lot of ways. Um, you, you just love those. You love those long games. This was about a, almost a uh, three and a half hour, three hour forty five minute football game. So uh, you know it's almost over at nine o'clock and. Uh, just, uh, you know, the, the incomplete passes and the stop clock. That final drive by uh, the Rams, uh, you figure, you know, conventional wisdom says, right, run some time off the clock. Although Kansas City had three timeouts, Sean McVay was going for it, though, puts the accelerator down, and uh, he was able – his defense bailed him out. But, uh, you know, just it's the modern NFL now. Well, and it's something I was actually kind of sharing with you guys because as much as we have this uh, kind of new age offenses, I do think when it comes to the playoffs that uh, – you know, the, that old school stuff, running and, and defense does matter. And I've watched a couple of Sean McVay games now in a row, and every game he goes for the throat and he throws for the first down. And he hasn't seemed to be of the mind to just run it out. And in the playoffs, those mistakes sting a little bit more. And so I know a lot of people are probably going to be saying that this was a, uh, a preview of the Super Bowl. But I expect one of these offensive juggernauts will run into a defense they can't handle. And some of these time clock mistakes might actually come back and, and bite these coaches in the butt. Well, we, Will was talking about that earlier. And, Will, I mean, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Um, a big growing up a Giants fan, and uh, I know how you like to play. Todd Gurley would be the equalizer in the playoffs, wouldn't he? 
especially if they're going to utilize them the way they they like to. Um, I, I think that McVeigh hopefully would be smart enough to uh, maybe just go into that power formation. You know, um, you're starting to see a little bit with Eli doing now with uh, Saquon Barkley. The last two weeks they've won games and they finally put them under center. And where everybody's going to the shotgun, going under center, and you get the running back into that eye formation, and God forbid they actually bring out a fullback. They might be one laying around somewhere in a closet, dust them off, and, and bring a fullback out there and have some old-school power football. So um, they have the option, they have the talent to do it if they utilize it. We'll see if McVay is going to um, – run an offense that way depending on what kind of defense uh, they play against. Obviously, they had a great game against the Saints. They, they've had some great games. I mean, the Chiefs, no they've played the Saints. Uh, they've been in some close games. And uh, with a young team, you're going to have some uh, learning curves and learning lessons. And when you're in first place and you can still learn, that's a great way for your team to grow. So we'll see if the coach along with the team grows in a way that they'll get ready for the playoffs because I agree with you to a certain extent. If they're going to play a certain way against certain defenses, they might have a difficult time, and we'll see uh, if this team grows. And that's the beauty of uh, having a great uh, season the way it's been with these uh, young, talented players. Well, what, what, what an exciting night for the NFL. What an exciting night for football. Um, obviously, the, the passing game is starting to take off in the NFL. And we, we, saw, we saw a classic example of that Saturday, right? I mean, talk about, talk about uh, football's flying Saturday night over in Pullman. Um, you know, we saw, you know, before, before halftime, we saw 55 points. That's it. And so, so we saw a big mustache running around and just, just making plays out there. And uh, it just seemed like the, the, what, what Mike Leach created with, with Hal Mummy um, more than 20 years ago at the University of Kentucky and taking a quarterback named Tim Couch and throwing it every down. Um, a number of teams have been have have molded some of those concepts in the NFL. I know Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They incorporated some of that uh, over the last decade into the offense in New England. But um, it, it certainly seems that the NFL, obviously, for a variety of different reasons, younger young coaches, young offensive minds, and of course, like you said, the young talent. I mean, just a, a great crop of exciting quarterbacks that uh, that and they've they've come up they've come up all they've all come up through the systems now. I mean, these are quarterbacks who've thrown the ball an awful lot in high school, learned how to read defenses. They've got, gone to college. They've adjusted to the speed. Uh, you know, Jared Goff, Pat Mahomes played out at Texas Tech. It used to be that, um, that that system quarterback didn't transfer well to the NFL. And here are two guys who played in the air raid system at two different schools. Sonny Dykes was was the head coach at Cal. And, um, and, and obviously Cliff Kingsbury and had Mahomes at Texas Tech. And now we're starting to see that air raid type A type A take its way into the NFL. Yeah, I mean, but what you're looking at is it's really that spread offense concept uh, getting to the NFL. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is it's harder and harder to find offensive linemen that can keep up with the speed of these defensive players. And so you get a quarterback that comes up from college that's used to throwing the ball 50 times, which you saw, I think, both quarterbacks approach 50 throws tonight. What you're really observing is the importance of being able to release the ball even faster. And so if you have these, you know, you have these, you say, system quarterbacks, but they're really being matched really well with system coaches. Andy Reid's always had a system that's about making quick passes. It's the Mike Holmgren classic West Coast offense. And then you have McVay who's bringing some of these college concepts. And honestly, like he's younger than some of his players. And so it, 
I think it works really well into like the ecosystem of players that you have available. And, you know, just watch the Seahawks. It takes a lot of effort to try to build an offensive line. I mean, we hit our heads against the wall for five years and now we've kind of stumbled into it. And like you could say it's Tom Cable, but you could also say it's investing so many high round draft picks and then giving them time to learn. But a lot of teams don't have that time. You need to score 50 points today. Scott, what do you? What's your thought about the evolution? Uh, obviously, you're uh, you're involved with uh, so many kids, and uh, your son is a, a coach down in uh, in Memphis, and so you've seen your share being with UW, and you've seen plenty of players. What what do you, what's your thoughts on uh, today's quarterback and the evolution of the passing game, and obviously uh, the rules play a big part of that also. Absolutely, I think that. Uh I think if you're honest about, the, you know, the changes, you know, everything is designed for the offense. Um, you know, defensive guys can't hit him anymore. There's the joke this summer or this, you know, season where, you know, touch the quarterback and he goes down and there's a penalty flag. So it's designed for the, uh, you know, offense to be successful. The evolution is totally different, which is kind of fun to see actually the Seahawks now doing what they're doing with the running game because it's kind of old school. It's the old Giants. I mean, they're going to line it up and they're going to bring eight in the box, nine in the box. They're still going to try to run the ball. So it's kind of fun to see them do that. Uh, but the evolution of the game has definitely gone to this run-pass option. Um, you know, space, the space issue of having to cover the field 53 yards and uh, putting guys in, you know, two or three different plays going on, uh, literally in one play where there's a – uh, screen and there's a well the, the, the screen and the option is taken over as the run play right yes absolutely. Uh, we we could almost call it a running play if we wanted to because that's what it seems like it's doing now instead of just handing the ball off absolutely absolutely and so it's it, the evolution is is great but for a guy like myself who has been on the, been on the defensive side it's uh i'm sorry to hear that yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it creates a lot of headaches and uh uh, to cover that many that that far of a field and to cover those many good athletes, it's it's tough. Uh, going back to what you've talked about with the offensive linemen, uh, you know, we used to see these big offensive linemen, uh, you know, Joe Thomas and some of these guys. Uh, do you think that the linemen are starting to get a little bit smaller so they can keep up with the speed and getting out on the screen passes and sliding? Uh, you know, have you seen an evolution on the offensive linemen a physically change? Well, I, that's where I actually started my high school career as coaching offensive line. So to watch the evolution of offensive linemen is, is big. I think the old days of, you know, big, big guys, Fluker's a, you know, he's a man a lot different from most NFL offensive linemen. Most of the kids now are really agile and, and quick. And I think the uh, old two that used to play for the Seahawks, Hutchinson and Jones, are yep. probably private examples. Jones probably being the best example of being really athletic, but being really strong and being able to really do things. And a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the size of kids nowadays is just amazing. When you look at the top linemen in the country, uh, you know, they're average about six, seven, six, eight, and 320 pounds, and they're just 17 years old. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. And it's a lot of them are really athletic, play basketball, you know, can dunk a basketball. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive to watch, and you got to be able to run, and that's the name of the game nowadays. You've just got to be able to physically run, and uh, it is the old, old Mohican, you know, like the fullback thing. Those guys are hard to find nowadays, and it's uh, it, it's definitely changing the game. Well, it's because anything with football, you you got to watch the money. The reason why the sport is becoming safer is because it's worth so much money to televise this, and there's so few opportunities to run these television ads. And so then you see the kids, you grow up, and right now you have these defensive linemen who are getting much larger guaranteed contracts for getting 10, 12 sacks. And so if you're a six foot four, 300 pound 
blessed human being who can run a 4840, you're probably looking at being on the D line and getting sacks because you see that money at the end of the, the payday. And I think the offensive line contracts will still really big at the top end are aren't producing at the same level and see these these kids see that. Yeah. And so the top picks, I think we're going to see it next year. I'd say like 10 out of the 20 top picks in the draft are going to be defensive linemen. Yeah. And and that's just a continuation of where the league's going. Defense always has a way of catching up, doesn't it? Defense it, it, always seems to catch up, you know, and there's been there's been spurts of offense over the last 40 years, but it seems like the defensive minds always have a way of catching up with it. Well, and a lot of that has to do with the quarterback. Right. So, you know, we go back to Belichick, right? The, the, the greatness of Belichick is taking away something that you want to do. Right. And knowing what kind of quarterback he's playing against and saying, I'm going to take this away and make him go to his second read or third read and really kind of challenge the quarterback intellectually on how he wants to uh, defeat the, the defense and the Patriots. If we think about the defense and the Patriots, they haven't been good in a long time. You know, but the schemes and the way they kind of try to trick you and do certain things to give you different looks, that becomes an advantage. And obviously having number 12 on the offensive side really helps out. But I, I think that's really the, the creative ways because they're being, uh, you know, hampered right now so much. But it kind of goes back to the old stuff, right? You want pass rushers, and if you could get corners to, to uh, defend long enough for your pass rushers to get there, you're going to have success, right? I mean, that's pretty, pretty much the easiest way to, to build a team if you, if you have a blueprint, right? Let me go get some guys. We, we saw with the Giants when they had, you know, JPP and they had Justin Tuck and they, they just had, you know, they called the NASCAR package. They yep. had three defensive ends and one of them was playing DT or moving them around and just we're just going to run them at run at them and we don't have to blitz so now we could drop in coverage and this is the kind of defense that we're going to play when you could get those type of scenarios now in today's game you still might give up 38 points but you know yeah that's kind of the way to to build these defenses and it'll be interesting to see uh you know how they kind of go along and and see I, I think they're going to get smaller too I think the evolution uh Landon Collins is a safety for the Giants I think he's getting too big to be a safety. I think he should eventually move to linebacker where I think he could be more successful, still have the speed to be with the, the running back and have the speed to kind of get around. But I think he's too big at safety. I think there's going to be evolution. Some of these guys just kind of losing a little bit of weight and focusing on speed. Before we talk about the future, let's talk about the present, though. Um, Saul brought up a, an interesting question. Are these going to be the two teams now – Roger Goodell is hoping these are going to be the two teams that we see in the Super Bowl. Are these the two teams we're going to see in the he, Super Bowl? He's going to deflate some uh, some footballs. He's gonna, he's gonna, he, 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 he may do what he can. It's always such an interesting uh, always such an interesting way that these teams end up in the Super Bowl. Are these the two teams we're going to see in the Super Bowl? Scott Ligo. I, I I liked what I saw tonight. I think that both teams can do it. I think uh, Will made a good point. It's uh, for Kansas City. I think it's getting home field advantage. And they, they don't have to go to Foxborough. I think that's a huge uh, advantage for them. Um, you know, uh, New Orleans and uh, KG, uh, Sean Payton are, uh, you know, good coaches. And so, I mean, that's going to be a tough run for the Rams. But, uh, you know, and, you know, give a little hometown love. I mean, don't discount the Seahawks. I mean, they do have a good defense. And uh, they can put together a decent running bank game and ch shorten down the game and don't allow these offenses to go crazy. A team like that can do some damage in the playoffs. So, Saul. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, you're saying a lot of the words I, I kind of believe. I, I don't think we'll see both of these teams in the Super Bowl. Either I, one. Either I, one. We won't I see think, the Chiefs or the Rams I think in the we'll Super Bowl. see one, and I think it's more likely that it'll be the Chiefs using home field advantage to carry themselves through. I think both of these teams have issues. Uh, I think when you're a high-scoring offense, when faced with not needing to give the ball back to your opponent that you can't run it three times in a row – is something that could really rear its head on your final drive in the playoffs. And then if you're looking at a Drew Brees on the other side, you're going to lose that game in L.A. And, and so I think that's something that we really need to consider. Old school football always seems to rear its head and work back. And it's a painful Seattle concept, but the Seattle Mariners were the best team in baseball in 2001, but they just didn't have that starting pitcher. The Patriots didn't lose a game and then they ran into the Giants because the Giants could just rush the passer football sometimes you lose <laughs> the man who has seen Bill Parcells win two and Tom Coughlin win two Will Sanchez will we see these two teams either one of them in the Super Bowl it's going to be interesting because I think Pittsburgh is going to give the, the AFC think about it right if we had to pick some teams today right today, right say Kansas City the Patriots and then probably the Steelers. I, I would I would think that those are the teams that are going to be at least in the playoffs and, and, you know, depending who shows up. Home field advantage. Obviously, we're talking about the Steelers. We're talking about a concept that you're mentioning. They like to run the ball. And Connor getting almost 30 carries, 25, 30 carries a game. They're going to say, we've got to keep the, the ball out of Pat Mahomes. Wait, wait a minute, that's not Le'Veon Bell? No, no, Le- Le- Le'Veon, Le'Veon is, is – uh, we saw him – is No, he's hanging out with uh, Felix Hernandez in Dominican Republic, uh, having some platanos and just getting a nice uh, summer breeze, and he's having a good time. So he'll make his money next year. So I, I think the Steelers are going to be really interesting. So it's, it's kind of tough to tell. I'd like to see it because it's exciting. And if we could get a Super Bowl uh, of the magnitude, at least coming close to what we saw tonight – then we're going to be entertained. And, but we were entertained last year with the Eagles and the Patriots. That was an entertaining game. So as long as I'm being entertained because my team, the New York Giants, will not be there, uh, I don't mind being entertained. I don't have to sit there kind of, you know, uh, you know peeking through my fingers at, at every play and, and, and kind of living and dying with every situation. And I know uh, you Seahawks fans, uh, uh, you had the great Super Bowl win in New York and then the heartbreaker uh, at the one yard line. And it just, it, it was a conversation Juan was in my house that night. And I told Juan, I said, it's so hard to get back. It's so hard to get back to the one yard line. And that's what makes it hard as a fan, right? As a fan, not, you know, these NFL players that obviously they're passionate about it, but they still get a check and there's a business to it. But as a fan, to see your team come so close and so hard to get back, and you talk about the Mariners in 2001, it's been a while, right? It's been a while for the Mariners that, to be successful, a and while. we just saw that they <laughs> traded their ace today. So it's going to be a, a lot longer now. So this it's, is a, it's tough. A frustrating day to be a Mariners fan if we're allowed. Well, to we're talk here about for you. You can, you can let it oh, out here. Yeah, this, this we, tell us your thoughts. About oh, I, you know, I was James I was Jackson. 13 the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. I'm 29 now. I've uh, I've dealt with some life stuff. I've, I've dated some girls. I've been through it. And, <laughs> and no one, no girl has broken my heart more than the Mariners. Oh, and wow. I mean, I year it. in, well, year out, it is sick. Because right now, I'm like, I can't go back to her. And then 
Lo and behold, if you guys bring me in in March, I'll be like, oh, baby, you look so good this we'll, year. We'll be there you, opening day. No, I'm, I'm like, I know it's going to work. No, Felix, he's going to find that that mile on his fastball. And, and every year it's just going to be he's going to it's going to be brutal. And I, it's I love wild. It. I, 13 was the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs. You, you weren't even old enough to appreciate it. Right. And I, I like it was cool. Like we won all the time. And then we just didn't win that that right series. So, yeah, no, I'm really bummed about losing Paxton. This is ridiculous. You need starters to win games. We're deciding we don't want to win right now. Well, 2001 was a very difficult time for me because the Mariners lost to the Yankees in the ALCS and my girlfriend at the time, and you know who you are. Uh, she, she also left me as well. So. It was, uh, 2001 was a rough was year. Long, it was a, talk, a long time uh, ago. Scott, do you have anything to get off your chest? No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm feeling good about myself today. Woo. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're here. This is uh, soul searching, and we're going to hug it out of Kumbaya right afterwards. Um, yeah, but, you know, for the Mariners, you know, we, we were talking on the phone earlier today. Um, if you're going to blow it up, blow it up, you know, and, that, and if that's getting rid of Seager and Cano, I don't know who's going to take his contract and not bring it back. Nelson Cruz and uh, getting rid of Edwin Diaz. I mean, but don't blow it up it kind of, sort of, and then don't really like if you're going to do it, do it. You know, just, if you're going to start from scratch, because you, you gave away, or not gave away, you traded away your best uh, bargaining chip besides your closer. But to a left-handed power pitcher that's still controlled for the next two years, I mean, that's a big asset that you gave away that maybe you could have tied into maybe getting rid of some contract. Like, I'm going to get rid of Paxson, but you got to take Seeger, or you got to take Cano, or you got to – but you didn't do that, so it's really interesting to see what the Mariners and their organization is going to do. Go ahead, let it out, bro. <laughs> D- devil's advocate moment, though. If, if I'm going to believe in, like, five, six months, how am I going to know that Paxton's going to be there, ready to pitch on that one-game wild-card playoff? Maybe we're not blowing it up. Maybe this is just all some crazy thing, and what we did is we traded our broken ace to the Yankees. We get their young guy. If he that, that's go, unproven. It hasn't done yeah, one thing. Unproven, but – what we know about Paxton is guaranteed he's not going to throw more than 160 innings a year. If this guy comes out and throws 175 with a 4 ERA and is there at the end of the year, that's just as good. I mean, it's highly unlikely, and my heart is guaranteed going to get stomped on, but like, maybe we did something really smart today. Well, the, the, whole, the whole idea of uh, blowing up the team I mean, it's it's the modern thing in baseball. I, I think we got in this conversation a couple of weeks ago. I mean, you know, in, in basketball, you need two stars. Football, build a defense, find a quarterback, and, and run the football. You can you can turn your team around pretty quickly. Baseball, and we were talking. About, I, I have no idea. And it seems like the the Houston Astros were able to do it. And it's the new fad is that you blow up your team. And um, I don't understand that concept when you have so many components in place. You won eighty nine games. And uh, but the thing is that the Mariners farm system is strapped and this is we talked about it earlier this afternoon. Well, I mean, they have two big assets. They have Paxson and they have Diaz and um, they went ahead and probably weighed offers. And they, I, I just don't think there's the market's very big for Felix right now. So they went ahead and made a deal that uh, that got them a, a modest amount of prospects. Uh, the one one who seems to be a, from all from all indications is going to be a, a major league starter at some point in his career, um, and a couple other players thrown in there. But, um, you know, like all trades, we'll see how this works out. But if this is uh, – Saul, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic with you, brother. 
Um, I'm hoping I'm hoping this doesn't represent blowing up the uh, blowing up the team. I, I just I, I'm not a big believer in that concept right now. I'm a, not a baseball guy by any stretch of the imagination. But what I would say is this: what, what bothers me always with the Mariners is I just feel like there's a philosophy, and that's really what what it, start, it stems from. And I don't know if it's from the top, if it's the the manager, Depoto. I, I I don't again I don't know enough about it. I got done reading Michael Lombardi's book recently about you know Belichick and that whole way and what Will was talking, you make him play left-handed and all those types of things. I just think there's a philosophical culture thing, and that's what bothers me, and I'm with you, that they don't have a farm system, so they don't have much to trade for. And do you really build that way? Can you make it happen? I'm not sure. Uh, but, I, you know, when they had Felix, when he was pl pitching well, they didn't get another ace with him. They didn't get another bigger bat, and I felt like that was that window. They should have done something. That's my, my biggest frustration. I'm, you know, you know, my son, my son-in-law is the biggest Mariner fan in the world, and it would be the greatest thing in his life to ever see them play for a World Series. And uh, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> easy, yeah, pal. I'm already you know, there. So you know, uh, at least I, you're I, young enough to wait. <laughs> yeah, I want, I want to yeah. see that happen for him. But boy, I'm, I'm just concerned about the direction they're going. But what, you and I talked about that last week, right? We talked about what, what if Pete Carroll and John Snyder were the 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 general managers of the, of the Mariners. They, the, they would have they would have a philosophy, and right. it goes back so to we your point. Win we, we win forever. So, but but the Mariners did, and Scott Service uh, did a great job. Uh, and he did the best job for himself. And mm -hmm. the second that the Mariners were slightly good this year, they all got new contracts. <laughs> so congratulations on convincing ownership that you're going in the right direction, giving yourself a new contract. And then after the season, when it went to, to you know high, high and hell water, yep. uh, you're going to blow it up and then convince ownership that you need more time now because you're going to scrap that idea and do it again. So kudos to the two guys that got themselves new contracts. Now, going mm -hmm. back to the team philosophy, I agree. What is the direction of this team? And if it's, like I said, if you're going to blow it up, then blow it up and scrap it out. And, and at least you have a philosophy of what you're going to do. But right now... You're kind of swaying in the wind, and it was confusing. It looked like they were going to make a run for it. They were this close to making a run for it, and now all of a sudden you trade away your star pitcher. I'm confused. Will, did, do you think this had to do with anything of last week's news from uh, – Oh, the, wow. the the, uh, the Lorena, we're, we're doctor. Gonna, we're gonna distract everybody. Yep. We're gonna distract everybody after Lorena Martin, Doctor Lorena Martin, came out and and made her claims about the racist remarks, the insensitive, discriminatory remarks that lazy, were made dumb, and stupid, especially the Dominicans. So here comes here <laughs> comes a trade this week, which is a big trade, and it gets everybody off of talking about that unfortunate subject. Well, I, I I wouldn't disagree with you. I think that even, um, you know, the guys I'm doing the local talk, talk radio today were talking about, it. of course, the week of the Apple Cup, the big <laughs> big game this week, the Mariners got to do this. I mean, uh, you know, they could have done it last week. I, I, I'm with you, Will. I mean, even if you do what you did with Paxson, what bothers me, you've got, I don't even know, I think it's $25 million with Felix. you got $20 million with – Cano. You, you had, you had a higher you, payroll than the Yankees last how, year. How, how do you how do you get rid of all that? I mean, that's that's the part that amazed me. If you're going to blow it up and go get young guys, 
that's a lot of money that's sitting there that's not going to do much for you. It, there's I'm not there's a market for Cano. Um, <laughs> a friend of you know, mine told me there's, there's no market. You can't get rid of Seeger. No. You can't get rid of Cano. You can't get rid of Felix. You're, you're really dead in the water with all of those guys. It'd be like telling yeah, LA to get rid of Pujols. A, a friend of mine told me that there's bad free can't agent signings all the time. Maybe, maybe Pujols for a Cano. Right, right. No, Pujols, we can Pujols, trade broken, Pujols will be gone. We can so. trade broken parts for yeah. sure. I I love your guys' concept of saying like what would happen if John Schneider and Pete Carroll ran the Mariners though because I do think in a town that has all these big corporations it, it would be pitching and defense and all these <laughs> these successful <laughs> sports teams no but like they have a philosophy if you read his uh, win forever it starts with his yeah. three core tenets yeah. look right. at uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon it starts with frugality it's always day one and whatever the other one is yeah. that's not, but like they have these core tenets well, organizational structure that leads to winning yeah. and and there there is no core tenant to where they're at right now i think DePoto loves to trade. I don't think this is about the Dr. Martin thing. I think this is just DePoto and him looking at a team and just honest to goodness saying, I don't think we can win 89 games and I need to throw something out the window and try to make it work. Why not wait until you get down to the winter meetings, right? You have everybody in the room and that's really the opportunity to, to really get maybe the most, right? Because the winter meetings... You know, it's pretty much everybody getting in the in the room saying, "All right, what you got? What do you want? What do you got? What you want? I want this. I got you know. I got it." Why wouldn't you wait now to, to get down to the winter meetings? Why Why do this now? Yeah, you yeah. know. So it's curious. And Scott said something, man. Is the Apple Cup this week? Yeah. It's in a little bit. A little, oh, yeah. Little, Can we talk about the Apple Cup? Like, what's everybody's is there an Apple Cup going on this week? My family's <laughs> diehard Huskies, and I've gone to Husky games my entire life, but I didn't go to UW, and I've been sitting here just kind of like trying to find my mustache. Put it on here. I got, I got my mustache oh, on man. for uh, November. I'm feeling, November. I'm feeling Minshew fever pretty hard. I think this guy's pretty unbelievable. I think we as Washingtonians sit here and we are all kind of sitting to ourselves and being like, let's be honest, it's going to come down to the Cougars, having it in the bag, and then they're going to blow it. But this guy's from out of town, and I think there's something about a group of young men getting together and having some other guy come in from Mississippi who plays this fun, who's really you know by the seat of his pants, and he's just going to be like, ah, guys, what do you mean we can't win this game? I got this mustache. And sometimes sports is that stupid. It's that ridiculous. It's just believing. Yeah. You know, I, they're, they're, even if you're a, a not a Cougar fan, but after what this team— No comment. A, a, after what this team went through with Tyler Helinski, mm-hmm. for for a season that in the beginning of the year, if you would have asked me, I would have like, this is going to be a terrible year for them. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, what they went through, the tragedy. Tyler was supposed to pretty much be the starting quarterback yes. this year. And everything that happened in that community and that family, for this guy to come in, right, and, and, and step in and just – he looks like he's having fun and everyone around him and for them to have success and to be a part of it. If, if you could give some happiness back to a community that went through so much, this is the perfect elixir. And I'm so happy for that community and the family because I'm pretty sure the Helinski family is a part of them, that they're cougar through and through and they're loving every moment of this. And I'm just I'm really ecstatic for that whole community that that's, that went through this uh, tragedy with, with what happened with Helinski. Yeah, I, I would second his point about uh, Minshew is that, you know, there's a story there was they were talking about today where when he was at East Carolina and he was named captain and he got benched. And basically after that, he said to himself, 
you know, next time I get an opportunity, which, you know, somebody mentioned that, well, if we would have went to Alabama, if they would have run the air raid, I said, well, that would never happen because a guy named Saban uh, runs that program. <laughs> yeah. So that wouldn't have happened. But having said that, uh, you know, he just said he, he was going to rip it. And I, and I just think that's what's happening with the kid. I think he's just letting it go. He's got what he's got to lose. He's a, he's a grad senior. There's no, there's no tomorrow. I mean, I don't think he's – maybe he's going to get a pro shot. We'll see. But at this point, I think he's just having uh, living it to, to the fullest. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great game on Friday night. There's how no how does the air raid system help with uh, his skill set? How does that particular system, because there's a lot of passes being thrown, it's not pushing the ball so much down the field, it's really kind of matriculating along the way. Uh, by the way, uh, Minshew had one more touchdown that Pat Mahomes did uh, on Saturday night. He had seven touchdowns. Uh, what does an air raid system do for a quarterback like that? Well, a guy like Minshew is number one. I think the biggest thing he did was what Juan was talking about earlier. He actually spent last summer with Hal Mummy. And he just learned the system. And what they say is, you go find grass. That's the philosophy. You just, you just the concept is, you go find grass. And so, for him, and and, and kudos to their offensive line coach. There, you know, he's not getting touched very much, and he's being able to throw the ball and spend a lot of time. So, so now, do the Huskies say, do we let him sit back and throw the ball, or do we bring the heat and get him moving a little bit and get and get his rear end getting a little hot? So that's a philosophy that's going to be interesting on Friday night with the game. Let's define that just a little bit, is because you and I do so much coach speak, but tell tell the audience what does go find grass mean so with any concept any two deep three deep or whatever there's just open air space you know the we call on the defense side we call route recognition so we're gonna try to run with the routes but bottom line if you give a quarterback three to four seconds kids are good you know we're not that good at defensive backs they're not going to find it and then the receivers are just designed they just see literally green grass and they're going to go run to that point and he knows that it diverts off to that and then he can go find it you could say that one pass late in the game where the kid was on the left hand side he came across and he came clearly across the whole formation and he hit him in the hole and uh, again it has to do with a lot with getting there getting there getting a, a lot of mm. uh, time um, you know the two kids from Everett uh, one out of Cascade High School and the other one out of Archbishop Murphy on the right side they just and the kid who's the left tackle who's from Woodenville High School um, you know they're just giving him a lot of time and so you know it, 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 when it works right well it's great uh, so that's going to be the I think the the biggest factor going into Friday night's game well, is philosophically do you go after him or do you say we're going to try to rush for and get there I think it's an incredible comparison to what we start out by talking about because it is this put five guys out there and make these completions in one to two yard windows and where I think Minshew might have NFL uh, success and where we kind of bring up he didn't know the air raid but you got to realize he was going to go study under Nick Saban the guy wanted to be a coach and that's kind of his background and so you come to this environment where you have the playmakers that you have around you at Wazoo you have the time what he's been allowed to do is really just go out there and make these simple plays and then let his players make the difference now he also makes just some great just NFL throws down the seams and he's really gutsy I think the difference that we'll see between like UW the last couple of years, I think has done a lot of audibles on the defensive line and confused everyone. And I think he's just going to kind of go out there, kind of watch what UW does and then just throw to his guy that's two yards away. Who's going to pick up three, four yards and, and just take what's there. And I don't know. I, I think you know, not to lead the question. I think Wazoo's going to win this game. I, I think it's Wazoo's to win. Interesting that 
we were, we were talking about the, the air raid offense, and a couple things I want to point out. Number one, um, practicing the air raid is like practicing a chord on, on the piano or guitar. When you go to watch a Washington State practice or, or an East Carolina practice or an Oklahoma practice now or any of these schools that run it, they will literally run one play and one concept for 45 minutes and really get the wide receivers, and they run it out of different formations. Uh, and they, they talk about this with Sean McVay's offense in Los Angeles. Simplicity. Simplicity, but the, it's, the, it's the formations and the things that throw off the defense that make it complex. And obviously, he finds his type of guys. I mean, he's, he's found some athletes in there. Then you combine that with the screen game. And Scott, they, the wide receivers block so well. I mean, they make big plays on the screen passes and you know the, the wide receiver screens and you know they're coming. But the thing that I think that we, we forget about Washington State this year too is the defense. Once again, Tracy mm. Clays has built a defense. And, and, and my, my, I have to tip my cat to that young man, uh, Khalil Tate, down in Arizona because he made some plays that, that normal quarterbacks don't make to, to really play a good football game and put up 28 points and lose by 40-something points. But, uh, but the bottom line issue is that their defense does an outstanding job uh, this year. I mean, they've really, they really, uh, they, they run to the football. They're, they're in great coverages. They're there. They're very, very physical. And I think that's another thing that Washington State's got going for them. I think this is going to be a very, very tough game for the University of Washington on Friday. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. I think that, uh, <laughs> I, I do think the best thing, the best thing Washington State does offensively is, you know, is obviously their offense. But I think that's the, going against the strength of the of the Huskies. The one thing under Coach Pete for the last five years, they've shown a little blueprint. They know how to play against this air raid defense. Now, again, I agree with you that I think Minshew's a little bit different. He's not used to the system, and he's going to be, uh, you know, not not afraid. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, but again, can Jimmy Lake and his staff come up together? You know, obviously Vita Vea last year was a one-man mm -hmm. wrecking crew. Uh, so if he's not in there, can they still make, get a rush with four? They haven't shown it. I think I heard today they only have 17 sacks. So you know, that's not very many sacks for a year. So they're going to have to be creative. But I think the other thing is. Uh, an old running coach uh, likes to know is, uh, you know, my days at O'Day, you just uh, run the ball. And I think that's the Washington, you know, uh, basically recipe for success. And they get Miles Gaskin, if he can get over 120 to 150 yards, I think it's going to be a closer game than people think. But bottom line is, the both teams are playing for something, which is fun. Uh, you know, the Rose Bowl is on the line. Uh, I think this winner will beat Utah in the championship. And uh, one team's probably going to have to go play Ohio State down at the Rose Bowl. So it's there's a lot to play for. Uh, it'll be really interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, the Pac-12 championships on the line playing Utah. And like you said, the winner of that will go play in the Rose Bowl. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Ohio State, if they lose to Michigan, how far they drop down. I could see a Wazoo-UCF uh, matchup, which might be really interesting to see that happen uh, in the Rose Bowl. They, God knows what kind of score we, we would have. Um, you know, we talk about the screen game and, and, and the passing to the running backs. The running backs um, for Washington State, I believe they have over 100 receptions. And that's just incredible, and it's just showing you that wherever they're seeing the, the favorable matchup, that's where they're attacking. So if it's, you know, the Huskies, you know, linebackers or safety, like who's going to be on the running backs? And like you said, let me ask you, how would you defensively get ready to play Washington State the way they've been playing this game or well, this season? Well, I think 
again, it goes back to what I originally said. I think it's down to pass rush and how do you create it and make it. Can you do it with four? I'm not sure you can. I think Washington always has had a really good game plan with their defensive backs and how they've been able to do it. They keep everything in front of them and then just go and, and punish the receivers. Um, but again, you know, those receivers have seen Washington's DBs for a couple of years, and maybe they know how some new tricks to how to get it open. Bottom line is it's about time. If home you, if, field advantage? Yeah, oh, there's got to be. Oh, it's, oh, it's got to be. It's 530 night. I would think that the fans, I'm not sure if everybody saw um, when they had game day uh, there in Pullman a couple of weeks ago. I mean, the scene was absolutely incredible and fantastic. Yeah. And, and I think if you're a Cougar fan, you're going to show out. I mean, yeah. you're going to be out there loud, proud, probably a little drunk. And just have yourself a blast. It'll be really interesting to see. And, it, I mean, everybody's going to be watching. I was about to be like, Cougar fans definitely uh, definitely drunk. Everybody's going to be uh, watching the on Friday night. The only way to make it oh, yeah. into and out of Pullman yeah. is, is not yeah. sober. All, all eyes um, on this game on Friday night. Have a driver, yeah. kids. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I think that uh, it's, you know, the environment should be great. Uh, but it is a Friday night game. Weird things happen on Friday night games and in college football they just weird peculiar nights and you know day too, after too much turkey or something I, well no i'm just talking about friday night football if you yeah. ever watch if you keep your eye on the season long deal it's it's an interesting deal it's uh just weird games happen those nights and so uh but there's like i said you know the, the one thing people kind of forget i mean there is a lot for the cougars to lose number here. seven right now right, and who that. knows what they decide but tomorrow washington has a lot to play for too i mean they got a yeah. chance to still go to the same rose bowl and they get a chance to go play and you know, redeem a little bit of their season and things like that. And it's the so Apple cool. Cup, right? Yeah. yeah. As Everybody's an independent Washingtonian, my heart is for the Cougars. I want the Cougars to win. I feel like there's, you know, it's time, right? But then you asked earlier, like, how would you defeat this Wazoo offense? And I was thinking in my head, well, maybe for four years in a row, you'd recruit the five best cornerbacks that are available in the Pacific Northwest for the last, mm-hmm. you know, four years by Jimmy Lake. And then you just train them up really good. And then, you know, when they go five spread, you would just send out your package of five elite recruits who are the best cornerbacks in the nation, and maybe you just match up with them, and maybe you just beat them. And, yeah. I mean, that's – like every year we've gone into this being like – because it's been multiple years now where we've had the Cougars can play for a chance to get into the Pac-12 championship, and, and they just can't match up. Yeah. And that's the, the that's the. I, I don't think that quarterback years, had a mustache right. though. That yeah, mustache. he didn't have a mustache. I think, I think in those I think in those other years the Huskies were clearly better. I mean, certainly, yeah. certainly last the last four years, I think that the the Huskies have been the clearly better team. And, and I agree with you. And I, and I think that Jimmy Lake's philosophy in recruiting DBs is when he goes out and recruits a DB, he says, "Do you want to play in the NFL?" If your goal is to play in the NFL, I want you to come to Washington. If you just want to be a Division One player, go somewhere else. So he's he's got some guys out there, as has USC, as has some of the teams that have King, come to Washington. Sydney, right. I mean, you name Absolutely. them, they're in the NFL. But I, right. I think I think we have to give enough credit to the system and how Mike Leach has implemented the system, how he coaches it, how they work in it, how they trust in it, how they believe in it and also how they execute it. And that, that all comes from preparation and work. And then also, he doesn't, he doesn't go out and look for elite guys. He's looking for guys that, that fit into his mold, guys that are going to go to class, guys that are, that are, that are somewhat self-starters, who, who he doesn't have to really worry about on campus to come out and, and really, that, that's a part of the discipline that Washington State has. And I don't know if you saw the, the Seattle Times article about three weeks ago. They had the, the program supposedly ranked by the coaching staffs and by the athletic directors, Washington State and Pullman was ranked 11th. Uh, USC was number one, 
Washington was number two. And, but one of the comments from one of the athletic directors was, it's easy to see who does the best job coaching when you're the, the 11th ranked program and your team's playing for the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. I think that, uh, again, we, we talked about earlier about having philosophy. I think that that's the philosophy you have to have at Washington State. You have to go after you, – you're not going to get the four-star or five-star kids. You're going to get a little bit different. The Palouse is different. Uh, it's not a big town. It's all those things. Uh, but if you can go get a kid from Cali who's maybe having some rough – you know, times they're not going to find rough times on the streets of Palouse. It's well, just we not we there. had Derek Sparks on last yeah. week, and he's a perfect example of a kid from Cal Absolutely. that went through a you know a lot of uh, interesting situations down there in California with his uncle and all these issues he had with recruiting and everything else. And he mentioned, he said, "I got up there." And uh, he, he, he gave the experience that he took the plane from SeaTac and landed in a field and walked out and said, where the hell am I? Yeah, and he said it was the best thing for his life and his career was going to uh, Palouse and being a part of that program and being a part of that town. So it's a great example that you're uh, talking about right there. Well, I think that's, then that's what makes the Palouse special. I mean, even, you know, Coach Leach last week walking, you know, to, his, to the office with Brock and uh, doing that whole thing. It's just a different place. It's a special place for those that type of – environment for kids that like that stuff I think it's a great you know uh, place but uh, uh, you know I think coach Leach is perfect for that system for for what they want and what like Juan's saying he doesn't have much but you know when he was at Texas Tech I mean you got to think about Texas Tech you're behind Texas Texas and yeah, yeah, all yeah. the SEC teams you're like the last guy to get a kid out of Texas he knows how to recruit just enough in Texas to get a few out a few out of Florida some speedster kids and he's got you know a good little wide receiver crew uh, you know so like I said it's it's mono and mono. I mean, it's uh, his offense against Jimmy Lake's defense. It's five good wide receivers against five good DBs. I mean, it's you know, I got a question on. for you three. Yeah, um, yeah, shoot. Gaskins and Browning are seniors. They've been here for four years. If you're a Husky fan, a college football fan, how are you going to remember these two athletes that were a part of this program for four years? I think a lot of it comes down to this game, actually. Uh, I think they so have For you, you, you're putting a lot yeah, of the onus on their on career this, on this one game? On this game, because they have had a mixed record in the big games they've needed to win in their careers. They've taken UW much further along, but we weren't in the trash with Sark. Like, Sark was starting to turn around the program. And, you know, we've gotten to national prominence, and I think that's where UW deserves to be. But UW goes to and wins Rose Bowls. By a quirk of the system, these guys haven't had that opportunity. But here is their chance. And, I mean, if I see Jake Browning rushed out of the pocket and my memory of him is going to be chased by an Auburn guy or chased by an Alabama guy or chased by a Wazoo guy with me saying, throw it out of bounds, and then he just throws it right to the opposing defenseman, which is infuriating. And so, yeah, I'm sorry. Win Rose Bowl. Kind of makes them that old deal. I, I think Browning is still out for me personally. Um, Miles is a little bit different uh, for me personally. Uh, he's at 90 yards from getting another 1,000 yards. Uh, he will could end up with 5,000 yards in his career. Uh, first guy in, in Pac-12 history to go four years, 1,000 yards. Um, it's pretty impressive even setting out two games this year to even be in that position. Uh, more importantly, uh, I want you three guys, if I had $100 and I, if I was uh, Reese on ESPN right now, what do uh, Miles Gaskin and I have in common? We went to the same grade school, same high school, same college, and that's it. 
because <laughs> he is a much better running back and much better athlete than I was. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's special, not because he went to the same high school and we went to the same grade school and all that stuff. But uh, I think he's, he's, he's definitely uh, good. But to your point, there's, there's, there's some truth to that. I mean, they, they haven't – you know, when they had a chance to go beat Alabama, they didn't get it done. Uh, when they've had some chances to win some big games, they haven't gotten it done. So, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd agree with you. that They've they got a little, lot riding on their, themselves the next two weeks. We're talking about it all the time, Will, in baseball. The, there's the eye test. Jake Browning certainly will go down as one of the great quarterbacks in Washington history. But you're being compared to guys who took their teams to Rose Bowls and national championship games. And Don James yep. said it, that the Orange Bowl in 1984 was the equivalent of a Rose Bowl when they played Oklahoma. So the quarterbacks that I watched growing up, a guy named Warren Moon, a guy named Tom Flick, a guy named uh, Scott Pelour, a guy named Kerry Conklin, a guy named Chris Chandler, a guy named Mark Brunel, a guy named Billy Joe Hobart. Um, he's got some to, to say, you know, to put him up in that upper pan, upper pantheon of quarterbacks. Those guys all did play in Rose Bowls, um, and uh, obviously a much different era. The running backs always a little different. You always remember the running backs of your your youth. I remember uh, one time up at Edmonds Community College doing security, and and Scott will know this name. I ran into Ronnie Rowland, mm -hmm. and I almost wet my pants. I was so excited to meet him, and I couldn't believe it. And, if I, and trust me, there would have been a, a zillion selfies, and I was so nervous talking to him. And he was our security director at Edmonds Community College when I was there, but one of the great all-time running backs in Washington Husky history. But you go back to Tucson Tyler, Vince Kobe, uh, Jock Robinson, and uh, I, would, I would put Miles Gaskin somewhere up in that pantheon. I just think he's had a tremendous career. He's a tremendous kid. Uh, just tremendous integrity in that young man and what he's meant to the University of Washington Husky program. Um, I, I think that I think that he certainly he certainly fits that bill as one of the great uh, Husky uh, running backs of all time. Quarterbacks, it's it is such a different thing because um, number one, you're you're at a school that has produced so many legendary quarterbacks who've played in the National Football League and took their took those teams to Pac-12 championships. But Jake Browning, nevertheless, has had a hell of a career. You know, not to say the really cheesy line of great uh, moments or great yeah great opportunities born great moments are born of great opportunities I mean Jake's lucky like he's had four incredible years you should be blessed to have it come down to one game against your rival playing for the Rose Bowl to define your career like he gets to choose how his career will be remembered I'm with you I think Miles Gaskin is a Husky legend running back and, and he really needs to be considered by that but yeah, it comes down to performance as, as a quarterback, and, and Jake does need to perform. And, I, and I'm sorry, Keith Price, Cody Pickett, Marcus Tuiasosopo, you guys weren't Locker. too bad either. Oh, and Jake Locker. Yeah. You got, you, Jake, you weren't too bad either. Enjoyed watching you up there in Ferndale. He, he, he made a couple bucks, so uh, good, good for Jake. Uh, getting, get, okay. getting drafted, uh, so good for him. But um, it's going to be interesting. Um, Browning is, is, is an interesting, successful college quarterback. And I don't, I don't see him at the next level. I'm not sure if he wants to go, even go to the next level with, with that, um, you know, trying to go there. Uh, it'll be interesting with Miles Gaskin. I think he could help a team out. I'm not sure if he has the speed to be on that next level. But, you know, we saw great running backs. And I don't, I'm not comparing him, but you know, Emmett Smith didn't really have breakaway speed. You, you didn't, you know, you have certain running backs. I think he could be an efficient. Maybe he is. You know, maybe he turns into Connor. 
if he gets with the right situation with the right team and and you know he's obviously he's not going to be drafted early so if he's drafted late he might catch on to a really good team that needs another running back and get an opportunity so hopefully that'll be the case with him if he wants to go to the next level but browning's one of these college quarterbacks that we've kind of seen and you know he has some good games he has some bad games he has some head scratchers and you know and it is what it is you know hey good for you how many kids Right, and and we're gonna get into some of the things that you do with student athletes and recruitment. So I want to get into that next. But how many kids, you know, and we're we're harsh, can say I played D one ball? Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. So we gotta give them credit there. But the the other thing too is I give Jake Browning a lot of credit. I mean, I've sat down and. As Scott knows, I mean, I, I was a head football coach for six years, and I had to do it the hard way because these guys had many more years on me. I had to go to clinic after clinic, and I had to scratch, and I had to go meet with coaches individually to, 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 to learn as much as I could about the game in a short period of time. And I became a head coach in three years, and I'm sitting there with my, my son at a breakfast group event. We sat down and had Jake Browning there, and I'm talking to Jake Browning about football. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Jake Browning will be a college coach. Uh, his, his offensive coordinator um, at his high school is now the offensive coordinator at Utah. To sit down and talk with Jake Browning about football, he, he's, he's, a, he's a football mensa. He understands spacing. He understands defense. He, he could coordinate a defense right now. I mean, he, we sat down and we had the little salt shakers, and we were talking about the offense that he ran in high school, how the plays were made, I, I, how he counted up defenders in the box, the matchups that he and his coach had kind of devised. Because I think he threw for like 200 touchdowns in his high school career. I, I was fascinated by how he, just how in-depth he knows the game, he studies the game. We were talking about different uh, plays, and I was saying, you know, I watched this play in a Michigan game. He knew exactly what I was talking about. Um, and plays that, plays that have happened in, in, in Pac-12 recently. The, the kid has got an incredible football mind. And you're right, some kids, some kids don't have the physical talent. Um, some kids never really pan out in the NFL. But, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that this is a young man we're going to see coaching um, at the major college level one of these days. And I, and I believe he will be a head coach. I mean, he's, he's that sharp as a football mind. Yeah, I think the other thing people forget in last week, it was shown after he won his game, he's the all-time winningest uh, quarterback in Pac-12. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Now, yep. again, it's because he started as a true freshman and, you know, he had guys like Miles and had good defense and things like that. Pettis so it's and not, Ross Yeah, it's and, not all yeah. just about him. But that's, you know, at the end of the day, like you said, I mean, D1, you're going to be in the record books as the all-time winningest, all-time winningest, you know, quarterback in Pac-12. That's a pretty good thing to put on your resume. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, sold on in, in the pros. So I'm with you, Juan. I think that, you know, maybe coaching's down as – his deal, probably get into a camp, be an arm, and then, you know, learn more, and then yeah. um, just move on, and, uh, you know. Well, in that next le- level, you know, the, the physical ability, you know, we saw Pat Mahomes, I mean, it, you know, he, he sneezes and the ball goes 70 yards, Yeah. you know, so sometimes you're just blessed, and, and if you're lucky to be blessed and be intelligent and really understand the game, then you could be really successful. We saw another great quarterback like Jeff George that had all the physical tools, but there were other areas that were lacking. Then we see another quarterback like Chad Pennington, which was highly intellectual and just a smart kid, but he just didn't have the physical tools to to be successful in the NFL, even though he was pretty good. But to be that level of success, there's nothing wrong when you're not gifted with those incredible athletic abilities, especially at the quarterback position, where you have to have arm strength besides intelligence. And just to recognize that Jake Browning, no matter what happens, had a successful college career, 
Nobody thought he was going to beat Alabama, but the fact that, you know, the team got to that point, and obviously there's some losses there that you would like to have seen different, and I think there might be hmm, – it might be interesting to, to, to look back on his career if he loses the Cougar game and then he got benched and pulled in one of the other games to, to look back at his senior year. It would be interesting to see how you think about his career later on, but still – Great career for him as a D1 quarterback. Sports hot take, though. Great career. Everything else for Jake Browning. I've watched a lot of football in my life. I've never seen somebody throw uglier interceptions than this guy. I mean, (laughs) super cerebral. Give me all of that. But, I mean, just drop my jaw interceptions. That's a Jake Browning special, and I think it makes it hard to appreciate him because those moments get seared into your head and and it's it's all I got. So I, I really, you know, I, I feel for Jake. Go out there, win that Apple Cup. But I think it's an important game for you. I, the, the other thing, Dragon, it's it's one of those things where when Russell Wilson, when Russell Wilson tries too hard, uh, it's it's a different play. I mean, Russell can Russell can juke out a, a defensive uh, defensive lineman. He, he has his little spin move, and he gets away with them, some things because of his athletic ability. I think sometimes with what what. Um, Saul is referring to is yeah he throws some ugly interceptions but I mean uh, all of them try to do too much you know and and Scott and I have coached so many quarterbacks number one they're all too greedy and you want them to be greedy I mean I remember we we talked with Eric Anderson was he was here in the beginning of the season and I was you know Eric Eric loved throwing that ball down the field and um, and you know and, and it got him and in the, in the you know he was with with the, the Cougars and Mike Leach and but Eric and I would I would try to get him to check down and he's like coach man you know they they believe in their arm and they believe in their talent. And um, at, at the college level, that never goes away. And I think that one thing I can say about uh, Jake is that, you know, he's tried to make some plays. He's tried to make some plays. And, um, and, and the other thing, too, is the, the change in offensive coordinator uh, when they went from Jonathan Smith to, uh, Hamden. to, to Bush Hamden. And I, I think that Bush Hamden, for all intents and purposes, from everything I heard, he's going to be a great coach. I, I certainly think he struggled a lot this year. I, I just don't think speed option is a play that I would ever uh, set up. Uh, Jake Browning for. I'm sorry, I'm confused. Juan, I mean, this is football, man. Like, there is nothing about the book when Jake Browning is on the run, like six seconds after he's done like three pirouettes, and then he literally just throws it to the defender. You you saw these same interceptions. Like, look at me and say, like. That's on the quarterback. Uh, These that, are some that, of the, the worst right. interceptions you've ever seen in the biggest games. I love it. I just, I, I, I never saw anything. Hey Jake, like a you Jake better Brown show up for the Apple Cup. You better show up. <laughs> the, the, the Spady man is ripping you, baby. Be there, Jake Browning. There you go. He's gonna be waiting for you when you, you roll back up. Um, let's get, let's get back into what you do, uh, Scott. Um, Student Athlete Advocates helps parents of student athletes through the eligibility, recruiting, financial aid process. You're on Twitter, S-A-A Advocates, and you're also on Facebook, Student Athlete Advocates. Um, So you can check out Facebook and Twitter for more information. Um, Just describe exactly 
what you're what you're doing in the program, and then we'll get into some other uh, things. Sure. Uh, so the, how I developed this program was when I was at the head football coach at Garfield High School. Um, it, there's a historical perspective to Garfield itself. Uh, you know, years when the early years it was 80% African American, 20% uh, other, and now that thing is flipped. And so mm-hmm. when I was at Garfield, that's when the gentrification was changing. Um, and so one of the kids that I, you know, not the one of the kids, the kid I used for the bell cow for our program is a kid named A.J. Jimerson, who was playing for me, who was either going to go to a Prop 48 to Eastern Washington, which is now they call it the red shirt, uh, academic red shirt, um, that uh, Eastern had it, or he was, you know, probably going to go on the streets and go a different life. And so I went into the counselors. He was a late recruit. Um, and uh, the the lights went on for me when I went in that room and I started talking NCA verbiage and the counselors had no clue. Mm. Uh, basically said, we can get him to Stanford, Harvard. And I said, well, he's either going to Eastern or he's going to jail. So we got to get him into Eastern. Um, he does goes to Eastern, makes it um, his freshman year, which means that he doesn't, he does not have any contact with the football program, uh, has a little rough, you know, time figuring it out and then gets on, stays on, plays a national championship semifinal game against App State. They lose there, comes the first family member to graduate from high school, go to college. And the ripple effect just last year, his little brother, who was a non-athlete, ends up graduating with a business degree from Eastern because he saw his big brother go. So that's how we developed the program. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, my stepson's a college football coach at Memphis. Uh, he tells me a lot about the travails and things that are happening out there. And he's always saying, you know, I go into these counselors' office and they don't know what's going on, or sometimes mm. the coaches don't. And so I just saw this need to help out uh, the, the process. Uh, we help out from Division One all the way down to NAI, both girls, girls and boys. Uh, the NCA in their infant wisdom have changed the uh and for the good academically i mean the gpa is only 2.3 uh and the it was 2.0 before 2.0 but the initiative was called 2.3 or take a knee which meant that if you didn't make it basically the game was over and which which i felt was you know non-motivational and things like that and if we're being honest and looking at the data and uh and looking at any which way you want to pair, you know, look at any parts of it, inner city kids, marginalized kids, kids that have lack of access to resources or to classes or whatever, um, they get left out. And so lower test scores and things like that. So now you take a kid who's got a 2.3 and the way the NCAA uh, sliding scale works, then you have to have a higher GP, you have to have a higher SAT or ACT. Well, now you got a kid who's 2.3 or 2.2, and now he needs X score, mm-hmm. nervous, doesn't make the test, things like that, and it continues on and on. I think, uh, obviously, we all know uh, Netflix, uh, great show, you know, next, you know, Last Chance You, yep. kind of showing kind of what the what happens to these kids. Um, this year, uh, Division Two Humboldt State out of California is closing their program. So now there are only three Division II schools west of the uh, Colorado Rockies. So you're talking about Azusa Pacific, Central Washington, and Western Oregon. Simon Fraser is in that that conversation. So what does that league do? They already played last year. They play each other twice, which doesn't make for a very fun league. Their probably choice is to go to the Rocky Mountain league which is now north dakota south dakota yeah. as a parent i don't know how much i'd be too excited about watching my kid get on a bus every weekend and traveling across the country to go play a game and i think vice versa i don't think rocky mountain league is too excited about bringing their kids this way my point being to you is that there's less chances and opportunities state of washington we have no junior college football programs at all in our state the only programs are in california um, arizona is 
probably going to close down two or three this year, if not four. So you're talking about less and less opportunities. So as this pool gets short and the academics getting tougher, we're talking about less kids getting in. And um, I think the great thing that we all enjoy in this room right here is that sports can make a difference in a kid's life and change their lives and go in the right direction. And we're not about you know, we don't care if you score a point. We don't care if you score a touchdown, anything. That's not our thing. We want you to go to college. And so if we can get those things done for you, that's what we want to do. And we just go through the process. We don't get your kid recruited. We don't do any of those things. We talk about the eligibility, making sure you understand what core classes are versus the, core, the classes that are in your, your uh, school. Uh, understanding your GPA is different from your cumulative to your core GPA going through all those things, teaching parents that they can actually look those courses up on their own school's directory. When does this process start for the high school student? Is this something that are you waiting to the junior year when it's kind of chaotic? Well, or is this something that's introduced as a freshman or a sophomore? And so what's the process, and, and then how should a parent or student uh, look into this um, and how early on? Well, there's two good Well, there's two good things to this point. One, number one, recruiting is earlier than it's ever been. So now the NCAA this past year gave early recruiting to the NCAA football programs, right? Basically, the old days when you used to have that first weekend in February to have the party and it'd be mm -hmm. all kind of cool, they're not doing that anymore. My son's not going to go out and recruit in January. They're done. They've already got their class. They're, they're finished. And so that's yeah. done. You're talking about places like Alabama. They're already looking at the sophomores and freshmen. So, so signing day is starting to go wayside? At the big wayside. signing day, you're putting the hat on? That's, that's yeah, already but, done. Yeah. It's that early signing it, day now, it, right? It, it's, it's changed the whole thing. And you're going to see the, the effects of it are going to be like now you see less miles getting on in Kansas this week, right? Yeah. It's not about they need to get less miles in there in Kansas. They need just to get less miles. So he's, he's got to get recruiting and figuring out. So it's going to go faster and earlier. And so my point to you is that you, what you're saying, what to your point is when you're an eighth grader going into Garfield, going into wow. Lake Cleveland or whatever, you better be on point and you better be straight and you better have figured it out. And, um, you know, the old days, if, you know, Dick Baird was here, the special admits, they're no longer available to these universities. you got to be verified. And it's it, it's to, to clean up the, pro, the process. We all know probably some funny business in some leagues and mm -hmm. Southeast Conference. Uh, you know, I mean, that just the stuff happens. So I get why they're doing it, but I also think there's a lot of kids get affected by this. And, and so we want to help. Uh, go, you know, help out the kid that doesn't have that access. We want to work with, like, for example, Khan Academy. Um, yeah, Khan. You, you can get it online. You can get it on your smartphone, right? It's a free SAT test. I mean, testing thing. So learn that. There's a new pro, uh, new app called Scully where you can put it in and say you're Puerto Rican, you're a male, this and this and this, and it comes back all the scholarships offer that you can get. Because what people, the big, big misnomer is everybody wants to go to the Huskies, everybody wants to go to Washington State. I get it. But here's the problem. It's a numbers game. 480,000 kids a year get recruited. I mean, 480,000 kids put their name into the hat that they think they get recruited. 2% make that of that thing. So your numbers are really against you in the first place. And really, the opportunities are the lower levels, D2, D, D3, and NAI. But D2 is a good example, like Central. Think they're in a good position? They're only D two left in the state of Washington, well, so they just get so they just get a pile of money. So they just start slicing it, and slicing it, and slicing it, and slicing it to keep as many kids as they want because they can be selective that way. And Division three, there's no money; it's all academic. So if you're not a three point five yeah. or three zero kid, you're not getting in there. And NAI, which a lot of kids put their nose up to, 
there's a half a billion dollars worth of scholarships down there. Southern Oregon, two years ago, won the national championship playing NAI. And I can guarantee you 20 years from now, if you're sitting in the bar and you have a national championship ring on, they don't care if you played Southern you, Oregon or Alabama. You have a national championship. To your Division Two point, though, and kind of how we're losing Division Two programs and how that's where all the opportunities are for the kids, is this something where maybe we should be seeing – seven-man football like these other opportunities to create a slightly different more fun game that isn't the same but would still give a kid who's coming out of a program who has a two three gpa an opportunity to play the game maybe not in front of as many people but have a scholarship is that something that you think we might start to see more and more well there's there's talk about it you know um as of right now i mean i just don't see it i mean unless you you know again there's talk about that concept mainly to do with safety to be quite frank and honest with you not even to do with about division two um i just you know to be quite frank and honest with you what i'm really concerned about is that western oregon central washington are going to look at each other the ad's and go do we really want to do this anymore mm. and they're going to say bag it and now we're going to have nothing on the west coast and now you're talking about a lot of opportunities gone and at the end of the day that's really what it's about you know my my son coached at uh central washington was probably one of his you know most fun times to ever coach because he got to coach for the real reasons you get you know it's getting to coach kids that really love the game and do it for the right reasons uh you get to the the, the, the top levels it's tough man you you're 24 7 twitter and that's the way the world works these days on the division one level so uh, not not to, to downplay your point on seven on seven. I'm not saying they couldn't go that route. All I'm saying is until they make that, that thing, it's, it's love man football and it's, you know, it's just less opportunities. That's really the sad part to me. And, and again, I'm, I'm about the education piece. So at the end of the day, the really dirty trick we do, I don't care if you really do it. I want you to go to college. Even if you did exactly what I told you to do in the core classes, do all those things, you're still eligible to college, even if you got a scholarship. Couldn't it be cheaper, though, for these universities to create, let's say, seven-on-seven D2 scholarship programs? Wouldn't that accomplish your task of getting more people into college? Because if there's only two, three universities that do it, if we could maybe get 10 universities to do it and offer these scholarships, then it gets some kids into school. And, and it gets because I think the reason why these people cut these programs is because they're not money makers like D1 football makes money. But D2 football, like where are the dollars coming from? I agree with you on that. But here I'm, I'm gonna, so I'm going to throw another scenario at you. What really should happen, to be quite frank and honest, I think what we need to have it has the, the power five program needed. There's always been talk that they're going to take off and just do their own thing. Texas Longhorns don't need any NCAA money, can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. I get that piece. So the Power Five, could they go off and do that? And then the trickle-down effect would happen. Look at Idaho. They went and tried to play on the national thing, figured it out, can't do it. They went back down to the big sky. There's a great Northwest League here. The problem is it's a D2, D3 thing. We need to kind of figure that out. There's Linfield. There's George Fox. There's Pacific. There's, there's some programs here that we can make a great D2, D3, and we wouldn't have to travel. It's, again, it's to your point, which is the huge point, it's that financial commitment. The D3s don't want to do it because why? Because then they have to make a financial commitment to the athletic department. The D2s are trying to do it. I mean, the people tried to say to me, well, Central Washington's a good example. They, were, they were move them up to D1. They, they're not fully funded D2 program. 36 is a fully funded. They're at 24. So they're not willing to go up. They finally got lights at night, for, and that's really good for all the other sports programs because they can play soccer at night and do all those things. I'm not, again, this is not an admonishment to what you're saying. All I'm saying is I think there's a league here. We need to think about how to do the best that we have here and try to do it from that perspective. I think it might get pushed to shove to that thing. But, um, 
but not to say that's not there. I mean, there's, there's the seven on seven world is out there. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, it's been talked about. It's looked at. You know, for us high school coaches, uh, we don't really like it. You know, the seven on seven all star thing that's kind of going on. Uh, the, the state of Oregon and the state of Arizona have done some legislation with their state associations, where now basically the coaches can coach all year round, so they don't have to go to these special trainer places and do all that stuff. You know, I'm I'm actually a proponent of just I think sometimes kids just need a break. Just let them. Get, get their bodies back to normal and you know it's not push I've already seen on Twitter this whole last two weeks trainers we're starting up program session one and you know get here and the, the junior the middle school is here and the GC, and I'm like oh my gosh just let them relax enjoy the rest of the high school state playoffs January 1 call them up say let's get this going let's have fun and we all know around here it gets dark pretty early really not a fun time you know nighttime you know being cold and all that kind of stuff so um but I don't know. It'll, it'll be an interesting question. It'll be really interesting to watch what happens with Western Oregon and Central Washington with what their decision and what they're going to do. I, I hope not, but I think it's going to be a question that's going to be definitely out there. You know, it's, there's so many parents. Uh, first off, so a couple things. How can middle schools, you know, we used to call them junior high schools because that's what they were when I was growing <laughs> up, but, you know, middle schools now, how can they prepare these students going into high school? Because a lot of parents have that mindset, I don't need to deal with something till at least junior year. Yeah. You know, how, how do we educate the parents? How do we get the systems to uh, just to kind of prepare our kids, you know, from middle school to get ready for the high school and, and say, hey, this is what you're dealing with. You're not dealing with this junior year. You're dealing with this right away. This is some of the things that's happening. And these are the programs that are out there. We could provide you X, Y and Z, but we also want to open this up. Uh, to you to for you to realize that there are other programs besides us that can help you out and help your child out uh, going to the next step forward well I think the biggest thing in the whole recruitment world today is to be honest with you, this misinformation and I think that that's what we try to do uh, we have just today or two days ago uh, verbally agreed with Roosevelt High School and Cleveland High School and uh, the week in February I'll give you guys the information exact dates and times uh, we're going to provide free seminars for all the parents and things like that. I'm just saying that from eighth grade all the way up, you need to get in and get Im immediate information. There's companies like NCSA that charge um, a former classmate from mine from O'Day High School called me two days ago. His kid's a volleyball guy, and you know they were the the the, the bottom line program was 1,200, the middle program wow. was 2,200, wow. and the big program was 3,200 dollars. Yep. You can call me and for 50 bucks. And I'll give you all the information. You got to do it yourself. You got to, you know, figure this thing out. Um, so I think that that's number one. It's getting the misinformation, stopping that stuff where people are. You, know, you got to go this route. Um, you know, we're living the ESPN world. We do. You know, uh, Lane Kiffin signing a sixth grader and all this stuff. It's not that young. I'm not saying that, but it is different from what it is in the past. You have a lot of control in your hands. I mean, Huddle is a huge platform. YouTube. You can make your own film if you live in the rural areas to the you know city. I mean, you can make it, figure this thing out and get your information out there doing it the right way um, but making yourself be eligible I mean making sure you have good grades uh, those that's the most important thing you could possibly have done is just you know making sure that you're going to be eligible and right and this is not a knock on counselors this is really how the whole program started because when I went into Garfield and saw that the counselors today have more on their plates than they've ever had before mm -hmm. and I'm trying to help out that right. piece they have bullying they have alcohol and sex and uh, suicide and all those things and then comes in a kid who's a student athlete well the next thing is you know they, they the parent who had the 
maybe a little more influence wants to get their kid into Harvard well who's going to get seen first that kid and then this kid who doesn't have that kind of influence as a student athlete is just trying to hold on and get that one chance he goes in the counseling counselor's like I don't know I, I ran cross country 40 years ago I don't know what you're talking about and you know like this year the NCAA changed the new rule which is crazy if you think about this the rule is the new rule is if you're deemed elite by the USA basketball but deemed elite then you can sign an agent at 18. Well, I can guarantee you right now, because I've known enough crazy parents, they all think their kids are elite, mm -hmm. and they're all going <laughs> to sign an agent. And I saw a good thing, and we put it on Facebook today, where a kid, uh, you know, a lot of the kids are, are putting their nose up to the G League and saying 125 is enough. They can make millions if they just go to college and to play one year Kentucky and then go off to the NBA, which is, you know, the factory anyways. My point being is at least maybe some of that good information is being sent out to these kids. It's, it's you know, I always look at baseball. It's funny we talked about it earlier, but I always look at the baseball model and, uh, you know, another great mm -hmm. one, the Tuyasa Sopo family, Matt Tuyasa Sopo, good example. Manu set it up great. He said the Mariners signed him. They gave him a million dollars. I'd like to have a million dollars when I was 18. Yep. And then uh, the Mariners were on the hook for any college he wanted after he was done with his career. That's the model we need to go to to making sure that we can ensure these kids are education. Well, also, like you, we were talked about off the air about the you know the high school thing about kids not being exploited to not be exploited to be, to be real to what they were supposed to go there for to be a student athlete. Let's be perfectly honest. I mean, the student athlete game is pretty dumb when it comes to the NCAA top level. It's it's a business. Yeah, yeah. but on the non-top level side, let's say if you're a parent with a 16-year-old who's pretty good at, let's say, lacrosse, mm -hmm. you know, but maybe doesn't have great grades, I'd say that's kind of really, it sounds like the person that you're trying to talk about. What's the advice you give to that parent, you know, that single mom, that single dad who has a kid who's maybe not great in school, but has a sport they're really passionate about. I that, know that, I that's, went, that, that's a tough, it, it's tough that you said lacrosse, <laughs> right? Because I'm, I'm going to let you answer that. But lacrosse is a club sport here in the state of Washington, which is a joke, mm -hmm. right? That, that's the first and foremost. So that already puts you behind the eight ball because unless you can afford to play lacrosse, you can't play lacrosse here in Washington because you might spend four or five hundred dollars just to be on a club team, let alone all of your equipment and everything else. So that's an interesting topic. So I don't want to get too uh, sorry. Caught up I with didn't that. want to get no, caught up. Yeah, in, yeah. Like, call it. Call yeah. it. No, but know, that, field, that. But that's some of the. Hockey, that's some, that's some of the want. problems also yeah. with sports. Social and, and sports equity. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. There's but no just more of like the the open ended instead of getting no, into yeah. the lacrosse I, specifically. I think the most important thing is that's why we want to try to talk to them in the eighth grade because you are right. There are kids that are just academically aren't right. And we just want to put them on a game plan. And we want to explain them. So if you know and you're uh, not good at algebra, but you know you're better at geometry, we're going to have to make a game plan. We're going to have to be really good in geometry, hold on to algebra, but you might be better at science, and just come up with a game plan. If you ever have a kid that's in the program, then you got to teach them, like, you're going to maybe have to take some summer courses and not go to the summer camps and do these things and have to make up those courses. The way the rules work now, you have to have your 10 core classes done by the end of your junior year. Your first day of your senior year, those 10 core classes stay with you. You cannot change them. What they don't want is kids going back and forth. They don't want the uh, blind side, Michael O'Hare taking the online mm. courses from BYU, which are not available anymore after that show, literally. Um, so that's what they're doing. So to answer your point, if you get to the kid before, we can kind of come up with a game plan, explain to them what's the, what's the best way to go about it. And the kid in the middle of the situation, those are tough because then you've got to really make some you know decisions. I had a kid this year that I'm working with right now who's got basically a 2.1 GPA and 
the mom says, well, we think we'll do it um, out of school. And I said, well, then he'll be a non-qualifier. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't get his GED. I said, then he'll be a non-qualifier. He would just basically be done. He couldn't even go JC because he wouldn't, I mean, it literally would be done. And so stopped her in her tracks. She went back and they, they're taking some online courses. And so, again, it's giving that information out. Parents just think they can yeah. just go their own direction. What do you think, and I've heard about these this league now, and I think there's several major former professional coaches that are coaching in it, and, and uh, I guess it's basically bypassing college, playing this kind of a – it's a minor league type, and I, I can't remember if it's the, if it's the, uh, the – um, AFL. The AFL, yes, the American Football League. What um, what do you think of that whole opportunity, and is that going to be something that that's viable for students in the future who wanna who wanna play at the next level, but they're not academically ready to go to college? Well, I think th there's an opportunity, um, as like any of the leagues that always go against the NFL. Will it be able to financially be able to stay on now? Oliver Luck, who's you know uh, Andrew Luck's dad, is the the CEO. They're paying him twelve million a year, so they've got some money somehow. Um, can it do it? I, 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 that that's my number one question. Can it do it? Number two, again, what does it answer the questions that I I said the, the the baseball world does? If you can go in this league, do you then just you know have to then figure it out on your own if you want to pay for your own college after you get done? Well, I don't know if that's, you know, again, that's the bigger question for me is academics and the athletic, can you get your degree, do those things. I get it. Not all kids are designed for school. I totally get that. I'm not saying that. Um, but if, you know, they can give them an opportunity to get to the next level, I, I, I'm for it. Um, but, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we, you and I both know a lot of kids here locally in the, you know, in the NBA, or the basketball world that are now playing overseas and trying to continue on their life and their dream. And it's like, you needed to set yourself up for further down the road. At the end of the day, we're all going to hang them up. And these kids just don't really see the bigger, longer picture to that and then really set themselves up for success. Let's face it. I mean, uh, you, read a, you, know, you read a contract. You better know what it says. You better know what it's saying. If you have hire some agent and he's just doing it for you, is he really doing the right thing for you? Are you really being told the truth of the matter? Uh, those things, I think, do come with a little bit of academics and that you, know, you learn about those things, and I think it's important. It'll be interesting to see what the, the, the AFL does. I mean, I, th I think they're talking start off with eight teams this year. One's in Memphis. Um, you know, so I, th I think it's a good opportunity, you know, but like the G League, is it going to be a thumb up their nose to it? Like, you know, you know what's, th what's the insurance going to be? We all know. I mean, the NFL works that way. I mean, if you're one and done, man, you can injure yourself. They write you a little chat, a little lever, waiver, and you're off the, out the door. It's, you know, everybody, you know, sees what's his name, uh, Smith, go down yesterday in the game. He's a quarterback. He's making thirty million. If you're the you're the corner, you break your leg. You're making three fifty. They're gonna get another new corner. I'll have one on yep. the next day. So these kids need to see the bigger picture to the whole argument of what what this is, and and if, you know, give them the right thing. You're you know, th th there's just opportunities. And what I always say is to any kid, at the end of the day, when it comes to that, the, you know, this whole picture, like if you want to go to these colleges. Can you see yourself if the, the sport leaves you, you leave the sport, you, you know, whatever, you get frustrated. Can you see yourself on this campus? Does this make sense? Does your degree make sense? And if you can't answer those things in a positive manner, then it's probably not the right choice for you. I, I got a question for you. Um, about six years ago, I did a show with Don McPherson. It was called Training for Life. And we did uh, numerous different topics. And one of them was on social media. 
and we talked about um, the effects of social media and how it's affecting uh, your employment and how schools are looking at your social media accounts. And these are things that kids are not paying attention to. We, we see it, especially in sports, where all of a sudden, you know, they go back five years and somebody says something derogatory or racist or whatever the case may be. Uh, do you have those conversations with the kids and the parents? And what's your thoughts on how social media impacts uh, a child getting into a school when we're talking about sports and we're talking about grades, but this is something that's separate now, and I would think it's something that's new that you have to deal with um, when it comes down to decision-making and how to convince schools to take a, you know, one of these uh, kids. Well, it's a great, great question. Number one, it's part of our segment of what we talk about. Uh, first and foremost, I always tell these kids, number one, uh, get rid of saggypants at gmail.com. Uh, it's your name. <laughs> Just put that in there. It's You can have your own saggy mail on the side. I don't care what you do there. Uh, be smart about that. Uh, coaches follow it. They they monitor it. You know, all the major college programs have somebody looking at your at your social media. I see it all the time. Coaches dropping players, you know, left and right for things. Here's what I always say, and then it's, it's the new thing, the Snapchat thing, and it's to the females in the crowd. I said, how many of you girls in here think Snapchat goes away? And you know, all the hands raised. And I said, okay. So, tell me where it goes. And then there's a silence in the room. And then dad started looking at him a little bit and I said, so you like Johnny and you really want to get Johnny's attention and you may make a Snapchat that's maybe inappropriate mm-hmm. and you make it and you think it went away and you don't think anybody has it. In 20 years from now, you decide to run for the mayor and that picture comes out. Now what are you going to do with that picture? And they're going to say, that's the person we're going to have run our, our, our city. You're going to live with that decision. So you need to think about all these things. It's big part. Even we turning even on the parents i sit flat out say dads i said they're watching you too they watch you in the stands if you're acting like a jerk and you how come this isn't happening why is that you think that coach wants to take that on for four years at a major college Hmm. their job is to do what win Uh, right their job isn't to be the babysitter and stuff like that they are there to win you know we can all say they have great gpas and they graduating guys on these rates and all the stuff it's all great end of the day you don't win you're you're done and that's what they're bringing you onto that campus for to be successful at any level from division one and on to nai so yes your social media is so important how you attack it what you do it making the right comments do you you know uh, endorse other players are you being you know Com, uh, you know, complimentary to your own teammates. You know, what I always tell te- what I always tell kids too, and the thing, be honest with you, your coach is always going to say great things about you because he wants to get a little feather in the cap and all that stuff. You know, really, more times than none helps you. It's the other coaches around the league. They'll say, "Hey, man, t- tell me about some other guys in your league," and you'll say, "Man, there's a kid over at Nathan Hale. Man, you cannot miss on. I'm telling you, that kid, he plays with the motor. Yeah. That all of a sudden gets you that scholarship." But they're like. That guy, he has nothing in it. He has no, no value to this. And he says, yeah. I mean, the parents are going to say he should deserve it. The, the coach is going to say he deserves it. It's the other coach. That's, that's the refer- – I mean, they check a lot of things when they, when they look into you. They're giving you – you know, you got to think about this bottom line. They're giving you a $240,000 scholarship. And they're going to check everything to make sure they, they're getting the right stuff. They're going to kick the tires. They're going to figure out what they're getting before they do it. 
you know, you and I were talking about it early in the day about Anthony Miller, the wide receiver from Memphis. Yep. Incredible. Hard incredible worker story. and great worker and things like that. And he was just motivated because he just wanted to get out from Memphis. And he did it and he did it the right way and, and he just worked hard and he's going to get rewarded for his career by working hard. So he's playing great already with yep. the Chicago Bears and uh, um, really coming on the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, from the things that you hear, right, mm -hmm. you know, we're outside mm -hmm. the circle. Yep. But everything that you hear is just the same kind of, you know, stories that you heard when he was in Memphis. He works hard. He shows up. And uh, each and every week, uh, you know, go, you know, last couple of weeks, they just been giving him more opportunities and he's been cashing in. So absolutely just, uh, just shows you that the hard work and uh, all the things that he's done to benefit his career is carried over to the NFL. So, absolutely. you know, coaching is life. Your advice that you give to, to kids about their social media is very similar to the advice I give as a young business owner to other people I, I meet. I mean, they cracked me up about your saggy pants email because I've actually told a friend who does great work and like my first advice was like change your email from like Friartown37 to just like your name at Gmail and he's like oh yeah and it's but these, these are really I mean sports like I said it is life and the things that you'll learn representing a university performing at either a D3, D2, D1 club level will give you returns once you graduate because the real honesty is that one percent of one percent of one percent even make it to the opportunity to the g league right mm -hmm. like much less even getting to the point of making the big dollars so if you're not taking away some life skills uh, you know why are you doing this absolutely 100 percent can't agree much more you know it's um going back to the parents um we we've seen it we, we've had some kids and uh some of the programs and um Unfortunately, the parents, uh, some of the parents, and, and let me be fair, we've had some great parents, parents that um, will help out. The, major the, the majority of them are outstanding Outstanding. They, they help out, and they'll, they'll bring food, and they're there, and they, can we drive, and you know, just, just really kind of just being a, a part of the family. And then you get these other parents that, you know, Johnny needs 100 touches a game, and uh, why isn't Johnny playing quarterback? And why isn't Johnny playing running back? And wide receiver? And why isn't Johnny Johnny? He should put him on D. Why is it you know? And coaching up and yelling and making a scene. And true, maybe the kid is somewhat gifted for this level, but the parents and the headache that goes along with it. And then what happens is Johnny sees Daddy act in a certain way and acts up just the same way, and it's just this cycle. So when you have these type of players, whether they're talented or not, you know, if you had some advice to these parents that act like that, you know, what would that advice be if you want to see your child move on to the next level and have some success? Well, I think, again, it's about misinformation and giving, informing them. I think the best thing I, that I, I had an experience at Garfield, and I said it in the article, was about recruiting and the kid not getting recruited enough. And I said, listen, this kid is the best football player or one of the best football players from Yesler to Jackson from 23rd to 16th. There's these three states. One's called California, one's called Texas, and one called Florida. You would own, you, my son could literally go to those three states and put together the whole football program for his team at Memphis. That's how many kids are talented in those states. So here's the big, here's, here's the bell that needs to go off in parents' heads. You think your kid's really good in this area? Ding, ding, ding. There are a lot of good players, a lot of good kids, and at the country. And so look at basketball. Basketball is the really great one. NBA, 
I watch, I don't, I'm not a real NBA guy. I've kind of lost a little interest, obviously, because my Sonics have left. So I don't follow. But here I watch, and I watch the NBA draft, first 10 guys. Ah, guy, I knew that guy. He's Duke. Yeah, I got that. Belosevic. Who? who? Where's he from? Croatia. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. You know, Giuliani Mulani from Italy. Wow, I didn't know about that kid. Mm-hmm. The, and all of a sudden, there's this international crew, and I'm like, wow, look at football right now and kicking, right? Where are all the kickers coming from? Australia. Well, you know, I they do that rule-style kicking. My point being, it's a world out there. You're competing against it. This is your first resume. This is your first job interview. This is your first chance to make it happen. It's you better understand you're competing against the rest of this country or the world in certain situations. And if you're not ready to do that, then you know, you're, you, you, you're, you're mistaken. And parents who just think that, well, he was the all-league player in the city. Well, that's great. They, they're not going to deal with the headache. No. no. no they're not bringing the next yeah. guy. I think these parents need to learn the same things that a lot of Seattleites need to learn. Because I think you nailed it, whether it's your sport or your life. I think you live in this city now that you're no longer just competing against Portland. You're competing against New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. You're competing against global cities on a global stage, and that accounts for sports. That accounts for music and art. I work with a ton of musicians and artists. I bring them to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. I don't bring it so they can feel what it's like to be famous. They're not famous. No one cares about them. I bring them there so they can learn that Seattle is a small bubble, and those kids in all these other towns are working harder than they've ever worked a single day here. And you need to see those kids in Texas and battle them and play them in sports to realize that you can compete in the other fields of life. Absolutely, 100%. And so that's the biggest thing that I see is that parents just really internalize it and they think their kid is the best and they think they're the, the, you know, the, the, the best of best. And, and they may be for their league, but it's a bigger world out there. And, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, you know, People always say, well, you know, my kid lives in the rural area and he can't get recruited. I'm guarantee you right now, Coach Norvell at Memphis, and if he's out, they told me, he told my son there was a six foot eight, 300 pound guy that runs like a gazelle on top of Mount Kilimanjaro. He'd look at my son and say, start climbing, because he'd have to go get him. <laughs> you know, I mean, he'd, they're going to find him. They will find the kids. So don't, that doesn't work anymore. Huddles out there, YouTube, you can get yourself yep. on film. We all see it every day. There's always a video of something, some incredible moment. So take all those off and just understand you're competing, uh, it, you know, from day one on this thing. And, and it's not and it's not just the child, it's the parent. And if you're going to, you know, even, no matter how talented you are, if you're coming in with a lot of baggage, whether it's the grade, whether it's rumors on the street, whatever the case may be, because you say, you know, they – they look into this so much now. You know, if they're going to spend the two, the two fifty, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a four year school and everything else that goes along with it, they're going to look into their investment. And if that's the parents and whatever they're doing outside of that, that's going to be a negative and a hindrance, and you're going to select somewhere else. Oh, at the same time, let's be positive. You know, if the kid is doing great things and and maybe doing community work and and being a great uh, outstanding uh, uh, citizen, you know, and an ambassador, um, then I would think that that those are things that are positive. So just real quick, some of the positive things that a student athlete can do besides getting good grades and being a good teammate outside of that. What are some of the things that the schools may be looking at when they see this on their resume and say, hey, you know, this is another check mark for them uh, to go into these colleges? Well, I think, you know, even the, even the academic schools like 
Garfield, even the ac- the kids that are high academics going to Stanford, they're they're not. Everybody's got 4.0s, so they're looking at what the extra stuff. So the same thing applies to <coughs> athletics. Are you doing extra things? Are you being a part of a th- community? Are you doing a fundraisers? Are you being? Are you a team captain? If you're not a captain, those are the things that are kind of concerning. You're like, hmm, if he's the quarterback, is he a leader? Is he not a leader? Those are things that are concerning for for our coaches. He's looking to him. But going back to what you're saying, to being involved in community, being a Boy Scout, I mean, you know, get, being an Eagle Scout, I mean, I, those are things that are really pretty impressive things. Shows that the coach, to the coach that you can handle more on your plate because you're going to go to college. You're going to have a lot on your plate. You know, last year the Pac-12 did a um, study on how many hours a week a kid works out and does all things. The average at the Pac-12 level, and there's a 20-hour work week, quote, unquote, it's 52 hours. 52 hours you got to do. And besides be a, a student at that school, besides do a social life, besides figuring out the world, besides growing up and learning things, and then you're going to have to do all these things, yeah, there's a lot on your plate. So um, learning to show you can do more, you know, being a great citizen, a great teammate. Um, you know, the one thing that they're talking about a lot on the college recruiting level is right now is body language. If you're down by three, three or four touchdowns, do you just, like, don't care? Just don't, you know, just shrug your arm? Yeah, that's going to, you know, it's another butt kicking or thing like that. Or are you that backside wide receiver who's on the front and needs to get mm-hmm. the front side and ruck, you know, busting your butt and getting over there and making the play? That's what they're looking for. Body language is a huge thing right now with the coaches because it, it, it tells them a lot about you. Are you going to hang your hat when you're down? Mm. Um, you know, you've got to, you know, you show yourself those ways. There's a lot of things. Again, you think about it. So you have to take body language. Another opposing coach says nothing but great things about you. And then you kind of mm. prove it on your film. You don't think that's a thing, three check boxes for those guys? And you're an Eagle Scout. And you did, you know, you raised, um, you know, 100 turkeys for the, you know, homeless people in the wintertime. Those are all things that those coaches are looking for. And well, let's let's talk about this though at the at the high school level. You and I both coached at schools that were uh, you know low income, and we we had some kids who who were going through some some challenging experiences in their personal lives. The the question becomes, you know, what what role does the high school coach and 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 just just in hearing your your talk, and it just kind of reminded me of those days. You know, how important is the role of the high school coach in terms of setting the program? Because I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of coaches who just want to get a kid out there because they are a talent and they and they they let them well we're just going to give them some chances and we're going to give them some chances where you know I, I I know how you run a program you certainly know how I run a program I mean you know it's it's there's there's it's black and white and there's not a lot of gray and I'm just thinking that you know nowadays especially with the 2.3 GPA uh, and all of this stuff you know you really have to have a high school program and high school coaches that really emphasize these things uh, and 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 hopefully you're not going to take a bunch of baggage with you they will eliminate they will have eliminated some of that before they go off to the uh division one or, or whatever level of college they're going to play yeah i am just recently got, got asked to speak about uh you know setting up the recruiting process for coaches and i think one of the one things that i took away from my experience of being the head football coach is number one i think this is if any coach can take anything away from this this is the number one thing your freshman kids, they walk in that door, have the conversation with them. This is what you need to do. For four years, you need to get this GPA. You need to do this. You have to do these things. Because here's the issue, coaches. You want to get that off the table with the parents. In state of California, what they're now doing is they're setting up game plans, literally academic game plans. They're having the parents sign it. They're having the students sign it. And they're having the counselor sign it and date it. 
So in four years later, when you decide to take a left and take that algebra course online, which wasn't NCAA approved, and went your own direction, they can come back and say, nope, we told you you're a junior year to take this year, and you didn't do that. You went this way, now you're deemed ineligible. It's not on us, it's mm. not on you. So I'm saying to you, like going back to Juan saying, setting up your program for success. We all know everybody in this room. I mean, you know, Bobo from the, the kid down in Oregon, he's seven foot two, can dribble basketball and, and play guard. I mean, it's not real hard for us to figure out, hmm, might have a pretty bright future. Yep. Those kids are easy to figure out in the, in the hallways of high school. Kids develop differently and everything like that. So my point being that all of a sudden the kid gets to be a junior and all of a sudden he's this phenom, and then all of a sudden things, great things happen to him, and then he, does, he didn't do the academics, and now he's screwed up. Well, if you had that conversation with his freshman year and said, hey, keep doing what you're doing and things like that, and you might grow, whatever, and all of a sudden he does grow and makes a success. So I'll give you a good example of a kid I helped out. He was Beamer High School, wide receiver, played goalie all of his life and grew to be too big. He wasn't good. And so he went and started playing wide receiver, was good. I watched some film. I was like, hmm. Tried to get him on some of my buddies down at Portland State. It was just too late in the process. They had filled their class. Went to Central Washington. Gets to Central Washington. I'm a type 1 diabetic, and so is he. Uh, his mom calls me a month later after he got to Central, and she's crying. And I'm like, oh, boy. You know, I'm thinking diabetic shock, um, something happened. That's exactly what went through my head. She says, Coach, uh, the process went so fast at Central that they weren't able to get his, admit, his uh, academics processed through the process. He was in the top two percentile from the, going into this class. They've given him a $70,000 a year scholarship for the next four years. His school is paid for Wow. It would have never been without you. I mean, that's so that's it, it was tears of joy. Yeah, absolutely. And, then, you know, so that's my point. I mean, you just don't know where you're going to fall in the process. So make yourself successful by getting your grades right. And again, like I said to Saul earlier, at the end of the day, if you just do the 16 core classes, the 16 core classes are math, science, English. It's not, you have to take the special NCA courses. It's the regular courses. It's not typing. Oh, we don't yeah. do typing anymore, right? Yeah, I, no. We used to take typing, right? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> you, you're, you're going to be eligible to go to college. And so that's the end of the, that's the, the, the thing. And so I think, again, if you're going to really set up a good program, like you were saying, Juan, as a good coach, you'll start up from freshman year, build it up, because you just don't know. The easy ones are the easy ones to coach, and then you're, you're going to be successful. Well, and I think that roadmap to success concept <laughs> is, is really perfect for you because you, you do that as a coach, and it reminds me of something that uh, I've heard at uh, charter schools in inner cities that have been really successful. What they do is they get the parent to sign a contract, the kid to sign a contract, and you know the, the coach to sign a contract. And this contract is a statement that, you know, you, if you have your pledge, it goes back to, like, why did the Mariners fail? Because they're probably not coming in getting a list of, I pledge to be a good brother to my teammates. I pledge to get good grades. I pledge to attend class. I pledge to do my homework. I pledge that I'll go to a four-year college. Like, you make those types of defining life statements as a freshman. And then every year you come back to that team and you sign your name again. And you start to see the players who came before you sign those four years in a row. These are the type of systems, and I, I just kind of made it up here right now, but that I think if you as a coach commit to, it's like anything else. We haven't talked to about it at all, but my, my grandfather started Dick's Drive-In, this fast food joint that's lasted a really long time. But he had his. We, we're still upset that he didn't bring any burgers yeah, tonight. We, but, no, uh, we, we can't get over we're that. We're still looking the, for the bag. To that same concept as a coach. I can smell my the burger. grandfather had these three core theories. And it was number one, you're a business, make a profit. It could be, you know, number one, I'm a high school co coach. It's to graduate my kids. 
you know, number two, you know, if you're a business, you can make a profit, uh, take care of your employees. Number two, as a team, we take care of each other. We make sure none of our, you know, brothers fall behind. You know, number three, if you can give back to your community, your business will number die. Number three is a football team. If we, you know, do community service together, we'll always succeed. And, and now the football team I just described may not win a lot of football games. But, like, those kids are going to probably go on to live a successful life. But and I think that's something that every high school coach should remember. It's not about my one kid who goes to the NFL. It's about my 54 kids and how many graduate and go to college. Absolutely. But they'll probably be eating a Dick's cheeseburger after the game. That's no, I'm, I'm going to drive up to 45th Street. I'm going to hop on I-5 and get off at of 45th Street. And a couple blocks down, they got the drive-through. I'm going to get out and go get some, uh, go get some before, burgers. Before we go, before we go, this young man here, he is working on some really interesting programs and projects in the community as well. Saul, you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing? And- yeah, for for sure. And this is to kind of your guys' point about always being involved in, in the community. I, I wasn't a very good athlete. I actually did debate. Uh, but um, we're working on a program right now through Dick's Drive and with a lot of other corporations in town called No Child Sleeps Outside. And it's uh, really simple. I mean, you guys are high school coaches. You've had kids come through your program who are sleeping on their friends' couches, who are sleeping in cars. Yes, and, we, ha- yes we have. And, and we as a city... I think need to confront that because it's really easy to drive by these tents and not look in them. But I'm kind of here to tell you that inside those tents are are a lot of kids and we can do better as a community. And so I think it starts as something as simple as having if there's 1200 kids that sleep outside in our community that have unstable housing every night, we probably need 1200 shelter beds every night. And a shelter bed isn't perfect. It isn't the answer, but it's so much better than sleeping outside. And so the cool thing about No Child Sleeps Outside, the story of it is, is five years ago, uh, Juan knows my mom. Uh, she was laying in bed, and she learned about some of these kids on a news story, and she told my dad, who is the president of Dick's Drive-In, that we got to do something. And so we took our change for charity, and we, we gave it to Mary's Place to provide some short-term housing. And then the next year, we were like, ah, that wasn't enough, because it wasn't. And so we challenged other businesses to match our 10,000. And uh, we were able to get five businesses in that very first year. So this was four years ago. Dick's, Evo, the Space Needle, Vulcan, and a guy by the name of Stan Harrelson all gave 10,000. And we raised, uh, we created a crowdfund and we asked people in the community to step up and we raised 350,000. And f- since then, we've actually raised $8 million total through this program over the last four years. And we've gone from 100 to about uh, 700 shelter beds for for families in need in our community. And I think it's just a really cool story because it starts with something so small. Uh, Literally, Dick's driving customers change. (laughs) And then it builds to something where I think we're making significant change in our community. And I... I mean, I'm with you guys. D2 football is something that's really tough to lose, like these opportunities for these kids, because I I really am moved by the stories of the of the coach who takes in a player and helps them get beyond. We need to almost do the reverse. And instead of just hearing these micro stories, we need to turn it into a macro environment where we have the systems in place. So it isn't just one kid who's really good at football. It's that weird artsy kid who's you know sleeping in, in uh, outside and, and so yeah uh that's what it is uh, it lasts from november 15th to december 31st there's tons of ways you can get involved uh, at dicks we have our customers give back change starbucks gives money brooks running shoes does a fun run 
uh, you know, if there's coaches listening, you know, as I said, this is a great opportunity for your team to maybe come together and learn. You, we forget the power of 50 people. If 50 people all give $10, you've actually probably really done something. And, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's my challenge maybe is, uh, you know, it's really easy to go out and play football, but it's probably a little harder to go out into your community and build something and change something. So, uh, yeah, just know that in your school, at your high school, there are kids who need help. And we'll try to make sure that we uh, post all that information, the link online. Um, we'll, we'll post the show up tomorrow as a podcast. It'll be on, um, on Facebook, on Twitter. It'll be on SoundCloud. So we'll put all the links. So we'll make sure we get all of that afterwards. And, um, you know, even if you can't donate financially, I, I've done some work with Mary's Place myself. Um, they need volunteers, you know. And if it's working, you know – it. Even if it's watching somebody's kid in the afternoon so the parents could go on a job interview, right? Because Mary's Place finds uh, ways to get people to get jobs. Um, they need help in a kitchen. They do food preparation. Uh, there's locations here in the city, uh, up by um, a little past Northgate. And obviously in South uh, Seattle, there's a bunch of different locations. So anybody could do their part, and even if it's for a day, it's really easy to volunteer. You go to Mary's place. Um, they have all the information. You'll get a easy training. They'll bring you in. They'll talk to you about the proper way to con you know conduct yourself. It's a very easy training. And then from then on, all these opportunities of different levels and all ages that you can be a part of, uh, even if it's just after-school programs. Because like I said, they, these are families and the, there are kids. And we go back to what you were talking about, these homeless kids. There are kids there that need guidance and someone to talk to and someone just to sit down with them and help them with their homework. So there's plenty of opportunities to get involved. Uh, so like you said, you know, whether it's, the, you know, we're thinking about the 50, 50 people, but even if it's just one person, they're always looking for people and volunteers and uh, you have clothing and things like that. I went up there the other day and I brought some old suits and things like that because they will utilize yeah, them absolutely. so they could go on job interviews. So do what you can and be a part of it. So Saul, thank you so much for uh, leading the way and uh, the way you're going. We expect a lot more out of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, uh, I mean, it's an incredible thing. It's what you can do as a community. I mean, it's, it's why I think the parallels to sports are, are so strong. Uh, I, I'm kind of embarrassed. I played singles tennis, but you don't accomplish a, a fact of ending. Oh, where's Dory? She's our tennis coach. She <laughs> would love you. You don't accomplish a task of ending family homelessness alone. Uh, you can't do it as Jeff, just Jeff Bezos or just Bill Gates. It requires the the coaches. It requires your church communities. It requires you know community members stepping up and taking in the foster kids that are in need in our community. In and. And I think that's what's really cool about it, because in the end, when we get across whatever that imaginary finish line is, because I don't think we're ever going to end the act of a family going homeless or, or of a, a, you know, a, a wife sadly getting you know, domestic violence and, and losing their home. What we're going to do is we're going to create a city where you don't have to sleep outside and we have you know, a net to catch you and a place to where you can go. And so, yeah, thank you guys for everything that you do and, and being out here. It's super fun to talk sports and, and then to also share this community stuff because I think there's so many ways that we're all trying to get involved to create that safety net, be it for the kids or, or for the parents in need in our community. Scott, um, let's get to the most pressing issue that we could have tonight. Scott is a foodie. 
<laughs> yes, I am. All right, buddy. What what's your what's your favorite foods? We, we'll ask everybody here. What's your go to meal? Uh, if you had one meal, one food, what what is it? Mm. Well, uh, recently I went to this place called Nine Delicious, uh, Nine Delicacies. It's out actually in South Everett. It was a Korean place, and they had a bulgogi melt, oh. like a Philly cheesesteak. Look at you! I'm telling you, man, it was awesome. And then they had uh, wingless uh, um, chicken that rivals Buck Buck in Portland, which is a famous yeah. Yeah. Uh, chicken place down there. And they were tremendous too. So that's my la- last thing that I've really have to do. I'm a huge barbecue fan. We need to find. Well, you, you, you get some you, more barbecue around you here. Try Woodshop Barbecue on Twenty uh, Seventh in the on Jackson. It is good. Yeah, it is okay. Good. Woodshop's it's good. good. Also, yeah. got to try the backyard because it's the best brisket in the city. That's I've been told that. I'm excited to try that. It's pretty good. Come on down, and uh, we'll 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 be at the backyard next Monday. You guys come down, hang out with us, and uh, have a brisket, have a couple beers, and uh, we're very laid back and casual there. What, what, what's your, uh, what, what do you like to eat? Oh, uh, man, my, my food, I'm going to give it to you guys here. This is my, my secret uh, as a Capitol Hillite. Uh, if I've ever had a couple too many beers, and it's past 2 a.m., so I can't go to Dick's Drive-In. Uh, I go to Glows and I get oh, the, yeah. I get the Salmon Eggs Benedict, but I, oh, I get worse. I add avocado. And then I get a side of bacon, and I put that on there with my aardvark sauce. So it's the oh, salmon, the bacon, the avocado, and the tomato. And, I mean, I eat that thing, and I don't eat until, like, 5 p.m. the next I day. I love it. That's Finish awesome. all your hash browns, too, at close. <laughs> oh. uh, you, know, uh, you know me, Will Sanchez. Chicken strips and ranch dressing. <laughs> And I'll take it from I'll He's eat it a simple man. He loves it. I will eat, I will eat it at Safeway, QFC, <laughs> McDonald's, Ezel's. I like chicken strips. The, the store up on the corner of 23rd and Jackson, the little purple store up there. I will go up there. I will go up there. Chicken strips and ranch dressing is my go-to when I'm depressed, when I'm feeling a little down. Um, I will go get myself. It's a staple food. January 10th this year, January 10th, 2019. I'll be thinking about my son Salvador's birthday, and trust me, I will have, I will have a big pile of chicken strips and ranch dressing that day. There you go. My, there you go. My, my safety net is uh, is arroz y habichuela, which is rice and beans. Uh, if I get some rice and beans and maybe a little roast pork with some fried plantains, I'm very happy. If it's uh, if we're hanging out in Capitol Hill and it's 2 a.m. and I've had a couple of drinks, uh, I'm always going to go for pizza. So if Mario's is open or something like that, you, I can't go wrong with pizza. But comfort food, you know, being Spanish, Puerto Rican, rice and beans, some roast pork, some fried plantains with a little garlic sauce. I'm as happy as can well, be. I'm surprised Felix ain't at your house right now. No, no. He might be there. He Felix might be. Might, he, I got to check my uh, my fridge there. Prepare for the 20, 2019 well, season. Well, hopefully, hopefully uh, Felix will put down some of those tostones. <laughs> maybe cut out some of the carbs maybe Felix needs to do and, uh, and uh, hopefully get ready for the upcoming season. Uh, I don't know if he's going to start or not. I've, I've been uh, Since I'm just real quick with you guys before we uh, before we sign off, I've I've been telling Juan I think for the last four years now, and at least the last three, that I believe Felix Hernandez should have been in the bullpen long ago, and I think that he could have been maybe the John Smoltz of this generation, 
And I think he, he could have had a lot more value because I think when he's on for one inning or so, he's very dominant. And I think he's somebody that could have been really impactful, um, especially since he's no longer that type of starter. And I think you can still find value. And I just don't understand why they haven't moved on from him uh, in the capacity that he is. You know, him getting, getting four innings, five innings out of him every night Every time he pitches and he's always hurt, to me, doesn't make any sense. If you could get him out there, and I think he'll be in better shape. If he's pitching three or four times out of the week coming out of the bullpen, I think he'll lose a little bit of weight. I think he'll be a lot more effective. So if I was a GM, and I'm not because I'm not getting that paycheck, uh, I would move Felix to the bullpen and uh, take it from there. You, you and I both agree on that. We saw what it's done for several players' careers. There is a school of thought by a psychologist by the name of Sigmund Freud. Freud, I believe in the id, the ego, and the superego. And sometimes your ego just will not let you do the things that will probably help you in the future. And and certainly uh, it would take, I, I believe that has been presented to him. As a matter of fact, the decision was made to shut him down and put him in the bullpen this year. And what happened, James Paxson got hurt. And he came out in the very. He, I mean, and Felix pitched basically. He basically started the game. I think. I think Paxson was, Paxson was two thirds of an inning into the game, and, and Felix ran back out there and he, he finished as a starter the rest of the season. But sometimes your ego just won't allow you. It, it just won't. It it trips you up. And and Freud talked about that. And uh, that's not to say that they they need to have a uh, a couch in the Mariners clubhouse to sit down and really analyze this with him, or or could they? <laughs> We can't thank Saul Spady from uh, Creative Empowerment. Thank you for being here, and thank you for all the things that you're doing uh, with you and your family and uh, helping out the homeless. And um, more importantly, go over there and grab us a burger. Uh, we expect burgers from you next time. And uh, Scott Lego, you can find him on uh, Twitter, SAA Advocates. And on Facebook, Student Athlete Advocates, their Student Athlete Advocates helps parents of student athletes through the eligibility, recruiting, and financial aid process from D1 to NIIA. We can't thank you guys enough for being here. And uh, Juan. Thank you. Juan, last thought there. I just want to say um, on the week of Thanksgiving, and, and it was so great to have Scott here because uh, Scott and I went to high school. At, you know, at, uh, I think Scott, I, Scott got out of uh, O'Day just a little bit before I did. But uh, going back to those days, I mean, we wanted to be athletes and we wanted to be major leaguers. And I had the opportunity to play college baseball with the idea that maybe one day I could play center field for the Seattle Mariners. And they drafted that guy named Griffey. But uh, I, I worked with that as my intention. But I did get an education as I was sitting at my family's house tonight over in Seward Park um, on the week of Thanksgiving. Boy, it is. I, I am very, very thankful that I do have an education, that I do have a roof over my head, that I have a woman who hasn't thrown me out of the house yet. And um, I have two beautiful children who, when I opened up the door tonight, came running to me and jumped in my arms. So uh, for all of you on Thanksgiving, I hope that you get to spend time with your family. I hope you get to spend time with great friends. And um, I hope uh, you get to eat good food. This we we got to say good luck to the Fighting Irish because I don't want the big dog mad at me. He's going to come after me after last week's show. I got something for you, big dog. No, I don't. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, just stay over there. I don't want the, the co-MVP uh, defensive player of the year at one time coming after me. So good luck to uh, your alma maters O'Day as they uh, play the semifinals. Happy Thanksgiving and enjoy the Apple Cup. Uh, Saul will be evaluating Browning, so we can't wait to get his hot take. It's all or nothing. Yeah, you know, I, I look forward to hearing it. And one thing just to kind of end on a, a 
a, a squishy note for Thanksgiving. You guys may not have ended up being uh, major leaguers, but I think in a lot of ways you're major leaders in our community. And I think that's really what matters and what all we're asking, right? That's awesome. Thanks for listening to NYC, NYSEA. We're talking sports from coast to coast and more.